does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Fourth and goal, here we go. 58,000 here in Frankfurt on their feet. Minshew under center, takes the snap. Quick pitch right side of Jonathan Taylor. Looking to break it out. Slashes into the end zone. Touchdown, Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. As on first down, Mac Jones in trouble, and he goes down again. Dio Adangbo and Tyquan Lewis combine on the sack. We'll see if they give it to Adangbo if it's his third sack of the game. Patriots have it inside the red zone. Shotgun snap. Jones. Play action. Floats it downfield. Picked off by the Colts. Get up and run with it. Julian Blackman is not down around the three-yard line. Gets off his haunches and then sprints it up to the five. The Colts with an enormous takeaway in the red zone. Julian Blackman with an interception. Boarding the drive and the Patriots get no points. Two minutes and 52 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. Colts lead by four. They need here third and six. Minshew looking left. Good protection in his own end zone. Dancing. Rolling to his right. Throws off his back foot. Downfield has a man who dives for the football. Who makes the grab? The Colts have it with Josh Downs. So fourth and one converts for the Patriots. The clock is moving on them, though. They're out of timeouts. And Zappi fakes. He fakes a clocking of the ball. He fires it up. Field picked off by the Colts. Intercepted by Rodney Thomas. Final score here in Frankfurt, Germany. It's the Indianapolis Colts 10 and the New England Patriots 6. So that's how it sounded yesterday. Matt Taylor and the Colts radio network. As the Colts win in Germany, I had jokingly, I know. <laughs> sarcastically said what, Jimmy, on I thought, Friday? I thought of you all game long once the Colts reached 7 and it was 7-3. And then for a stretch in that fourth quarter... It's 7-6, and instantly the thought popped into my mind of Jake's half-sarcastic initial prediction of, I think this game might just be a 7-6 final, and I was rooting for that from there on out. It would have been a Colts win, but I was pulling for 7-6 to be the final score. So the Colts get a win. Look, it wasn't pretty, and there are two ways to look at this, quite frankly. And there's a lot to talk about over the course of today, which we will do, but uh, including Indiana basketball, obviously the Pacers last night in Philadelphia, but the Colts will be a big part of the conversation today. You know, in reality, good teams, and I don't know that we know whether or not the Colts are a good team. I think they're probably an average to slightly above average football team. But good teams win the games they're supposed to win. They beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And so if you were an optimist, you would say, hey, you know what? They did what they needed to do in the last two games against arguably the two worst teams in the NFL. Certainly by record, what, the worst in the NFC and the worst in the AFC, right? And they did what they needed to do and they got the two wins but they didn't do it jimmy in either case in necessarily completely dominant and resounding fashion so they got the win though that's the important thing and they're still they're not necessarily like in the in the mix of the playoff picture but they're kind of in the hunt right they're in control to some extent of their path to the playoffs. When, when they when they pull up on their iPhone, 
the playoffs and their and their Apple Maps. Yep. The blue dot is still on the screen. Yeah. Where they are is still on the screen of the destination. But it's like in the bottom right and kind of floating around, right? Yeah. But nonetheless, um, a lot to talk about. Good morning. I'm always so used to saying good morning. Good afternoon to you, I should say. Jake Query here along with, that is the voice of Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. Uh, Eddie back from his vacation and then was in here last night until 5 o'clock in the morning, right? Yep, feels like it. Pretty much. So you were working what yesterday, Eddie? I think, did you see my cot? Is it still out there? I don't know if it got... You made that. Yeah. Uh, you made it before you came in here. I thought okay. it was nice of you. It was considerate. It wasn't like yeah. just disheveled. You had yeah. tucked the covers back up. The pillow was nice. You yeah. know, you better be careful, Eddie, because that lack of sleep is going to lead you to that three-week persistent cold that Jimmy's got. <laughs> yeah. It's going right. to sneak up on you. But yeah, I was in here last night, uh, Pacers game, and then had to do some sports stuff for the station here. But uh, Maxine and Beadman, uh, they just could not stop. The, the pick and roll early with those two and then once you let them both get going Joel with 19 in the first quarter Maxie closes it out with 16 in the fourth quarter it's hard to stop when you don't provide much resistance to start the game and they're just playing with the ultimate amount of confidence but I don't think you can be overly like obviously you want to get any win if you're the Pacers but you can't be overly upset by that just because you have a historic game quite frankly at least in the in the terms of his young career for Maxie on the road Against a really good Philadelphia team, and you were you were in it for the most part. Fourth quarter, you know they got they took the lead early, and then all of a sudden, a couple of actually a missed opportunity. They come down, Philly hits a three, and, and it just kind of when you're on the road like that, the roof kind of caved at that point. Then you're down eleven, you kind of keep crawling back. This right? is the ultimate optimistic glass half full look at what happened to the Pacers last night and what is still on the horizon for them. Initially, I was upset at the way the schedule played out and the fact that they're playing Philadelphia twice on the road in consecutive games. But after that performance by Maxi, the way Embiid once again kind of had his way, I want to see how this young team adjusts and not how they adjust against a different opponent, how they adjust against Philadelphia. And thankfully, they're going to get that opportunity in that same building tomorrow night. And I get it. It's the regular season still. There aren't playoff stakes really there. But you want to see continued growth from this team. What better way to get it than, okay, look at what happened against the 76ers just a couple nights ago. How do you respond in their building on Tuesday? Right. Now, do they they stay out there, right? Correct. Now, I wondered about this, Eddie. Somebody asked me this. It's a really good question. And I don't know if either of the two – I have a strong suspicion on this answer. And if Matt Taylor or Lara Overton, they may be in flight back. I'm not sure when they get back. They I'm got just, back at like 3 o'clock this morning. I was going to say, I would assume they came fairly quickly after the game. But if they're listening right now, they can let me know on this. Were the, because the Colts are now on a bye, the Colts are coming off a game in Germany that goes right into their bye. My understanding and assumption is that their bye week actually begins on Wednesday. That they would have maybe like a team meeting or – treatment that kind of thing today or tomorrow and then on Wednesday begins the vacation if you will somebody asked me and it's a really good question because the buy they're coming off of the game in Germany into the buy was it possible for players if they so chose to stay over there and soak in the culture and the atmosphere for a few days before coming back my guess would be no partially just because crazy as it sounds you can't run the risk of everything from and I know it sounds ridiculous but 
you know, a passport issue, a travel issue, something happening, I would I, think that they have to bring them back on the, the charter flight. I think of it as a glorified school field trip. And I get it. That's a crazy thing to say because these are grown men. But you have so many different things you need to account for as an organization. You need everybody going back Correct. together In at the same time. In addition to that, Jimmy, I do know this. When you charter, when you charter a plane internationally, and, you know, it's not like the Colts were all showing up at the Frankfurt airport and seeing whether or not they had A or B boarding on Southwest Airlines. I mean, they chartered a plane. When you charter a plane, the dossier for the plane itself has to be done like weeks in advance. Because I've flown a few times for IndyCar when, when they have chartered for us to Toronto or to Edmonton. And you have to have them, they have your passport info and everything has to be registered with the flight long before it takes place. So I'm guessing for the for the round trip that everybody that went out on the flight has to be on the plane coming back. Yeah, I would agree with that. You, you've flown Southwest before, right? Yep. Eddie, you have as well, I would assume. Yes, sir. So have I. Just the comedy of that in my head. Can you imagine just Bernard Ryman and a bunch of offensive linemen when they call B1 through 30 and you're trying to get to 15, but he's B20, but oh, yeah. he's in the 15 lane? That's you're right. like, hey, sorry. Well, nobody knows which side of the thing you line up right. on anyway, right? Now, I've always wondered this about boarding an airplane. And I, somebody told me that one of the airlines is starting to do this now. But when they're like, okay, we're now boarding zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, wouldn't it be easier? I've always felt this way. Why don't they say, okay, we're going to begin boarding now, all passengers with a C as in Charlie seat, which are the window seats, board. All passengers with a B as in Bradley seat, board. And now finally, all passengers with A as in Andrew, which are the aisle seats board. Wouldn't that, because then you don't have the people like, I'm, I'm sorry, I need to get in over here. That person steps off. You, oh, sorry. No, you just, you start from the outside, you move your way in. Be way easier, a far simpler boarding I process. think you might be onto something there. The only reason I've ever gathered for not doing it that way is because they want to make priority members feel like, oh, hey, you get to be on the plane a couple seconds. There is not so a priority member that would have a bit. problem with that if it means they can faster get on the plane. I'm not right? arguing with you. I agree. I'm just That's know, why I that's think they're in their archaic ways. They want to make it look like they're taking care of their own. Um, so the Colts take care of business in Germany. Overall, Jimmy, just your thoughts on the game yesterday and how much did you wake up right at 9 o'clock to start watching? So I was going to wake up for it anyway, but as I told our company boardroom chat, I actually went down to Bloomington yesterday, saw the men's soccer team win a 16th Big Ten tournament title over Penn State. That was cool. And then we stayed for IU Army. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But that is all to say that I was up by about like 8, 8.15 because we're getting ready to go down to Bloomington. And I was watching the game on my phone most of the day. I hear those in the background. There's close, close snapping. I'm sure we'll get to that as well, uh, even though they were not actually snapping at the end of IU Illinois. However, are we allowed to snap for other IU related sports or is it strictly? I feel like you have, you have somewhat here. taken that lane over in terms of media members with the snapping. I think mm. that's your decision. If you mm. want to adopt it for other mm. sports, you can. I feel like in this instance for capturing another championship, that's there you go. Get it's some snaps deserved. out there. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Uh, so yeah, I was always I was always going to be awake for this game, and my initial thoughts on it, and as the proceedings went on, is even though one team is five and five in the playoff hunt, one team is two and eight, and really through an identity crisis at a number of different positions, neither one looked that much better than the other. If you would have taken away Correct. these records and said, "Hey, where do you think these teams are in terms of playing field together?" 
I don't know that you would have come away from that and said, yeah, I think one team is clearly better than the other. I get it. It's a a win is a win league, but underwhelming performance yet again by Gardner Minshew. Some of that probably by design. Uh, Josh Downs is a stud. I'm not saying that like the Colts would have lost that game if he doesn't make that play late and that incredible catch, but another flashy moment for his rookie season. And they did what I've been asking them to do in terms of a snap count and snap distribution standpoint for the last four weeks, which is Jonathan Taylor dominated that running back room. So I don't know, Jake, it was ugly. I really don't want to rewatch that game any more than I already have, but they're five and five and they're outside looking in with a path to potentially make the playoffs if that's if they have the weapons to do so because the schedule would provide them a runway to do it. If the English Premier League, you're a soccer fan, right? Sure. If the English Premier League decided that they were going to start holding annually matches in the United States and Indianapolis was one, Lucas Oil Stadium gets one, and it's Everton versus... Sheffield United. People be like, okay, cool, right? Great. Or Chelsea. Let's say Chelsea's a little bigger name. Chelsea and Everton, right? People here, the vast majority, Jimmy, I, I would say 70% of people. What, what percent of people could tell you where Chelsea and Everton are right now in the tables, to use the term? What percent of in sports the country? fans in Indianapolis? Indianapolis. Just walk in the street. Stop, stop 100 people right now on Monument Circle, which is hard to do because there's only two people out there. But if there were 100 people on Monument Circle, you say to them, hey, are you a sports fan? Yes. Okay. Uh, can you within four spots tell me where Chelsea or Everton rank right now in the English Premier League? 2%. Okay. They're, Chelsea's middle of the pack. Everton's the bottom third, right? But nobody would care because it's like, well, I've heard of both and that's cool and they're, they're playing here and so let's go and, and watch, right? That's what happened yesterday for people in Germany. People in Germany probably have no idea that the Patriots and Colts are like a middle pack team and one that is circling the drain. So when I heard people say, like, can you imagine what the Germans must think that, like, these are the two teams they get? They don't know. I mean, they're like, okay, whatever, cool. And that's, and what was delivered to them was, in fact, a product of relative mediocrity. But for the Colts, they did what they had to do to win the game and in addition to that, they made the plays, sure, they probably shouldn't have been in the position to have to make plays down the stretch to win the game, but when the game was on the line, they did exactly that. In addition to that, they clearly, and this is a topic that is more relevant for radio in the Boston or Providence area, but the one thing they did do is they clearly knocked Mac Jones possibly out of, again, starting a game for the New England Patriots. What you saw late in that game. If there's one, look, Colts fans I know yesterday, around two in the afternoon, two things happened in the psyche and mindset of an Indianapolis Colts fan. The first was they're like, this is great. This is great to like already have a win in the bank by noon and be able to go on about my day on a beautiful day. It's a wonderful feeling. Watch other games or work in the yard or throw the ball with the kids or go to Costco or what or get the car washed, whatever it might be. This is fabulous. The world is our oyster. Correct. Like it's great, right? Yep. So that was like thought process number one. And then thought process number two was just when you start to think, yeah, but it was really ugly, you can offset that thought by the peace of mind of knowing that it is, in fact, possible 
that what the Colts did yesterday was not in the career of Bill Belichick, but rather force Bill Belichick into admitting and doing a checkmate on him to completely turning the page from the quarterback that was thought to be the guy that was going to be the next era he would build around and bringing him right back to square one as every franchise in the NFL has experienced of that vat of mediocrity and vat of suck that takes place when you don't have a franchise quarterback. And if that is the case, does Bill Belichick now want to look at it and say, I've got to start over from square one, find another quarterback again, build a roster around him, or does he say, it's time? And the Indianapolis Colts and the fans of the Indianapolis Colts can possibly take some joy, quite frankly, in the fact that they might have, in fact, laid the first real blow towards the end of the evil empire. And I know that sounds crazy and it sounds dramatic and it sounds really presumptuous. But when you're making that move that he made when the game was on the line, If the game is on the line and you need one drive and you take the guy that you drafted high, that you've built around, that you've tried to get pieces for, and you pull him and say, we don't trust you, for a guy that played outside a Power 5 conference and you put him out there on the field and then that guy makes a mistake on the last last play of the game, you have turned the page on an era. And the Colts can take some pride in the fact that they contributed to that. The other thing that I think needs to be addressed, I know there's been a lot of conversation. I know Andy and Kevin talked a lot this morning about Shaquille Leonard. Greg Doyle wrote about it. I mean, that that is obvious, okay? It's obvious that something's going on with Shaquille Leonard, and thank goodness Zaire Franklin is having the year that he's having again and is a great player. But Gardner Minshew, You could look at it and say, and I have said forever, backup quarterbacks are like donut tires. I I will say that phrase every day till people are already tired of hearing it, till the cows come home. But it's true. A donut tire, when you get a flat tire, is really good and sufficient to get you to the next exit or to allow you to drive for a day to work before you can make it to the tire shop and get the new real tire put on there. But if you start using it to drive the entirety of the trip or the entire week at work, eventually you find out why it's a donut tire and not your primary. And I think Gardner Minshew, his skill set is limited enough that the more he plays, the more defenses are able to evaluate, assess, and predict his tendencies. And as a result of that, he is an easier tiger to tame than, say, like an Anthony Richardson or you know whoever it may be, insert name of, of regular starting quarterback. But, Jimmy, he is still the best option for what he was brought in to do, which was be the quarterback in the event that your starter goes down. Everyone knew at the beginning of the year, if I'd have told you in August, in August if Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard held a press conference and said, We really believe in Anthony Richardson. We love what we saw from him in camp, but we believe at this point that his confidence is the most important, and based on his limited production in college, we are going to have him this year serve as a guy that is there to observe and learn, and we're going to bring him on the Steve McNair path. We're going to bring him on the 
Jordan Love path. We're going to bring him on the Aaron Rodgers path of like having him watch before he is handed the keys. If they had said that at the beginning of the year, and if they said, and as a result of that, Gardner Minshew is our 17-week starter this year, you would have said how many wins? Six. Okay. And they're at five. Now Richardson played in some of those, right? But they're probably going to end up with, what, like maybe nine or ten wins with Gardner Minshew as the primary quarterback. So they have matched and maybe even exceeded what you would have guessed if he, in fact, was your starter. And so it is easy to nitpick Gardner Minshew, or you can say, look, I'm encouraged by the fact that even with Gardner Minshew serving as the primary starter, they are ahead of where I would have guessed them to be, meaning the auxiliary pieces around him probably are playing above what was anticipated. Alec Pierce has yet to really get going, but Josh Downs continues to be a player. Jonathan Taylor limited a little bit yesterday, but at the beginning of the year, we saw that Zach Moss is a guy that, that, that can play if need be, if you've got to go back to that, although I think we, we see now where that transformation has taken place. You know, defensively, defensive backfield, a lot of liabilities, very young, but we now know that like Juju Brents is a guy that they need, and, and he's a young player, and they're going to have him for a long time. And that's good, assuming he stays healthy. You know, there there are areas that you can look at, and they are of encouragement. And Minshew is kind of the low-hanging fruit, but at the same time, I think Gardner Minshew, truthfully and quite realistically, is doing what initially he was brought in to do. The thing that drives me nuts is this, Jimmy. And this has happened to me in my career. It's happened to a lot of people. I have worked jobs years ago, okay, years ago. But I have worked places where the person directly above me departed. They got another job or they got laid off, or not laid off, but they got another job or something happened from a disciplinary standpoint where they were removed. So there was a vacancy in the workplace. And so while they actively sought the replacement for the person that was above me, I had to fill that role. Okay? So I filled that role. And then after a period of time, they decided that they had somebody that they thought was better suited for that role. Conventional wisdom would be, okay, then that means that I go back to the role that I was, I I never signed up to be in this role. I never was, my skill set was not suited for this role, but I was doing it as a team player to fill in until the role was again filled. And at that point, conventional wisdom is that I go back to my original location just below it. But more often than not, in that case, they say, well, no, we we filled the role and thank you for your service, but you are no longer needed. What do you mean I'm no longer needed? I should be able to go back to the job that I was doing ahead of time. I didn't ask for the, the, the elevation. And in Gardner Minshew's case, Obviously, he's not in danger of being released from the team. But people that are like, well, look, Gardner Minshew, like, I'm not happy with the way he's playing. This guy's really struggling, whatever. True, but he's also doing something on a week-to-week basis that he was never necessarily intended to do or brought in to do. And so, when when I don't think you throw him under the bus by any stretch of the imagination because he has struggled. It's not Gardner Minshew's fault for being who he is. Correct. Like, 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 and he, here, here's the better question. If Gardner Minshew's not there right now, 
other than Anthony Richardson, what player in the NFL are you able to go out and get that would be better than Gardner Minshew in that situation? Without taking the time to dig, I'll stick with what I said before they made the signing, which is if you're drafting a quarterback, that's the type of guy I would like behind my quarterback. I think he was the right selection to be a backup, to be a mentor to your future face of the franchise. I agreed with the signing, and I wanted them to do that before they did it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know who would have been a, a better option. Andy Dalton? Like, no. Like, like that, that's just off the top. But there were names out there, right. and he but was Andy at Dalton's the top of the list. But Andy basically Gardner Minshew, right? Sure. I mean, I think, I think Minshew's better at this point, but to your point, yeah, that's... I mean, if Andy Dalton was the guy that was filling in, right now we're like, man, I mean, the bottom line is this. With any quarterback, any, any quarterback, the more they play, the more you see their tendencies and their vulnerabilities to exploit. Backup quarterbacks, the ability to find those deficiencies does not take as long. And in Gardner Minshew's case, he's now been out there enough where those deficiencies are glaring and easy to exploit. But they were able to get out of him probably more before those deficiencies showed themselves than they would if they'd gone out and and put as a backup quarterback, you know, the kid for New England yesterday that throws a pick on the last drive of the game. It was in a tough spot, although he had some nice throws before that. My point being, yes, it is safe to say or it is a fair point to say that Gardner Minshew at this point is maybe of concern, except for that you have to take the good of it, which is with him there, they still find themselves crazy as it may be, and as far-fetched as it may be, they still are indeed in that column, as Kevin said earlier this morning, of in the hunt. And they are. By the way, C.J. Stroud's really good. Oh, is he ever. Going into the draft, I kept saying, man, they got to get C.J. Stroud. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the guy that I, I just thought at Ohio State he was really good. And, man, I mean, here are the Texans at 5-4, five and four, Colts at 5-5. Five and five, And then Jacksonville yesterday. I don't know if that was much about Jacksonville or more about San Francisco and their defense and limiting Jacksonville. And Trevor Lawrence, just that guy couldn't breathe yesterday. And San Francisco showed, <laughs> especially now that they've got, you know, Chase Young on one side. And, I mean, they, you know, Bosa – they can come after you. San Francisco looks really, really good. Um, positive and negative for Indiana football, missing out on bowl eligibility, but exciting game on Saturday. And then Indiana basketball last night, getting a win over Army, the voice of the Hoosiers that had the call for both. Don Fisher joins us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Halfway through the 1 o'clock hour here, or the noon hour, I should say, halfway to 1 o'clock on a Monday, Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Over the weekend, a yin and yang for Indiana Athletics because really a disappointment after a furious comeback against Illinois. I was listening to Don Fisher almost incredulously call that touchdown and the two-point conversion and thinking, here we go to overtime, and then obviously Illinois gets the win. Then yesterday, basketball against Army. Don, I'm going to begin with this. Um, I will be open about the fact that from a coaching, not a personality, but from a coaching standpoint, you know, I've been – pretty hard on Tom Allen of late 
But you and I were able to, uh, and you were honored, rightly so, we were able to go to a breakfast for Daymar, which is, a, of course, an organization that helps people find their ability within disabilities, if you will. And Tom Allen has been a real friend to that organization. And I just thought it would be worth mentioning off the top because we were able to kind of celebrate that at the end of last week. Just the kind of individual away from the football wins and losses that Tom Allen has been as a friend for some of those that most need it here in Indiana. Well, there's no question, and you just take away the football aspect of it, whether you're a pro-Tom Allen guy or a con-Tom Allen guy, just from a personal standpoint, you're just not going to find a finer person. He's one of the really, really nice people. He's a tough guy and a very enthusiastic type of coach, but at the same time, he has all the qualities you want and uh, a dad, a father-in-law, uh, <laughs> whatever whatever you point out from a personality standpoint, Tom Allen is a number one, and there's no question about that. And obviously his support of Damar is phenomenal, uh, and they gave him the award. Not me. I accepted the award on his behalf, but, but I was there for a Q&A type thing with you, and, and it was a fun day and fun morning uh, without question, but as far as Tom Allen, the person goes, you're just not going to find a, a finer human being. And Don, the the disappointment, if you will, because you knew going into that game against Illinois that Indiana, you know, you go three and zero in three pretty winnable games with Illinois and then Michigan State and Purdue, um, that they still had bowl eligibility in front of them. And I thought credit to Indiana when they seemed to be down and out against Illinois, the way they fought back to force the overtime. But then the disappointment of that. How does a team bounce back from that? Well, that's the question you'd have to ask the coach and you'd have to ask the players because I'm not sure I can answer it uh, in any positive fashion because it's a crushing blow. When you literally Indiana uh, in the first, uh, oh, what, 18, 20 minutes of the ball game probably played as well as they played this year. And actually, they played pretty well offensively throughout that contest. I mean, they had their best game of the season from a a yardage perspective. Uh, they picked up 451 total yards of this game. Brendan Soresby played terrific. Uh, the offense did what it had to do. Donovan McCulley was special in this per- in, in the uh, game from a wide receiver's perspective. Uh, but the defensive play and, and the defense, look, they have held the defense has held this team in ball games the last two weeks. Uh, when the game was on the line against Wisconsin last week. Uh, they they made all the plays that were necessary to win that football game. Uh, and then this past week, uh, there was just no excuse why Indiana's defensive backfield couldn't defend better than it did. I, I don't know what the answer is there, but the defensive backfield struggled mightily against the quarterback, John Paddock, who was a transfer from Ball State, and got his first start against Indiana after being the hero the week before in the final minute and 25 seconds, leading them to a touchdown that won the game over Minnesota. And this kid went for 507 yards passing in the game and, and just went crazy on Indiana. And uh, to me, it just doesn't make any sense because the defensive backfield this year has played pretty well most of the time. And sure, they give up some big plays now and then, but the big plays given up in this game were monstrous. I mean, they probably had 20 plays of 15 to 30 yards in this ball game or more, and uh, you just can't have that. So 
honestly, it's disappointing to say the least. Uh, and now, how do you get a ball club back after knowing that no longer are you bowl eligible or have the chance to become bowl eligible? Let's put it that way. Uh, with two games to go, you've got two trophy games, Michigan State for the old brass platoon and the old oak and bucket against Purdue. But, man, what a crushing blow that was to uh, Indiana last week after getting it uh, tied up and sending it to overtime and then falling. Don, you know it stinks, and you know Coach Allen's hurting with it. We heard his comments with you post game, and regret is the worst enemy of a coach when you look back at what could have been on a season. And yeah, like you mentioned, they have two trophy games left, but when you look at the last three weeks, what has changed about this group compared to struggles against Louisville, which doesn't look like a bad loss anymore, a ninth-ranked team in the country, struggles against Rutgers, against Maryland. What what changed with this team that has made them a competitive, in-every-ball-game type bunch the last three weeks? Well, if you think about it, it, it has to be Brandon, Brandon Soresby as much as anybody. I mean, the defense really turned it around against Penn State, played well in that ball game, played well against Wisconsin. Uh, but Brendan Soresby is taking a step up each of the last four ball games of the season uh, as the starter in this football team, and he has his best performance this past week against Illinois. Um, and he ran the ball well on top of that, and, and actually the offensive line did a nice job of run blocking this ball game because Indiana had solid yardage in that standpoint. So it's a team that made progress, and the the huge disappointment here is that the side of the football that probably had played as well as any this season on a consistent basis was defensive play for the most part, and that just didn't happen in this game against Illinois in the final three quarters. Don Fisher is our guest, the voice of the Hoosiers. He joins us here on Quarry and Company. Don, switching to basketball, I thought you said something uh, during that Q&A that we did, pretty prophetic, and for those that didn't hear it, you were just saying that from the basketball standpoint that you thought perhaps this year, maybe even more than, than years past, there was going to be a longer acclimation period of roster for Indiana. And by that, you got a lot of new faces and just kind of the gelling of that might take a while. Are we still kind of seeing that before our eyes? Because it seems like now a couple different games and a couple of different guys that kind of step forward and others that let that happen how long does it take before you truly will know what kind of team we have here? Well, it's it's gonna we're gonna find out pretty quickly because <laughs> after Wright State on Thursday night, who is a good a good basketball program too, and and that will not be an easy game. But then they step right into the fire against Connecticut next Monday in the Empire Classic in the first game of that event, uh, and playing a second game against either Texas or Louisville. Uh, who plays in that other matchup to, to start the thing on Sunday? So, uh, honestly, uh, I think this is a—I think it's a work in progress. I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I don't think we're seeing uh, what Mike Woodson wants to see from a defensive standpoint right now. I don't, but more than that, the offense is not doing the job. Uh, it looks—I don't want to say discombobulated, but it looks like the ball sticks too much. There's not enough ball movement. Uh, there's not enough passing to get guys open. Uh, there's not enough sharing of the basketball at this point. And you watched uh, in either of the last two ball games against Florida Gulf Coast or against Army, Mike Woodson, who wants to play almost a two-platoon system, he wants to have ten guys that can play, he's really shortened his bench pretty dramatically in these two first two ball games of the season after they got going because 
uh, they were bringing in guys that, you know, when, when the starters or the two or three starters that he hasn't played as much of late um, weren't playing as well as he wanted to, he had to bring guys off the bench. And there's no way to two platoon when you only got six or seven guys right now that you're trusting out there. And I think that's the big issue with this ball club right now. And it's primarily because they are new. There's, I mean, there's six new faces on this team. You lost four starters from a year ago. We've, We've talked about that on, on ad nauseum at this point. But the fact of the matter is they are nowhere where they need to be at this point. And I know Mike Woodson's frustrated with it because they've been practicing and practicing hard here for the last several weeks to get ready for the start of the season. And it hasn't looked like they've practiced much at all from an offensive perspective. Khalil Weir to me, or Khalil Ware, I should say, um, Don, is really intriguing. I mean, for those unfamiliar, seven-footer was a huge recruit at Oregon. We have talked about the fact that Dana Altman, he fell out of favor there, maybe just due to lack of motor, to use that phrase. But I thought he has been, or I have found him to be impressive so far yesterday, 9 of 11 from the floor. What have been your overall impressions of Ware? Well, I don't think there's any question he has a tremendous skill set. Uh, he, he can handle the ball. He can put it on the floor. You don't want him to do it all the time. You're seven foot. Um, and he's not the fastest guy in the world. But he has shown his skill level with his shooting ability, with his passing ability. Uh, we know he can block shots because of his size, and he did that in the first matchup. Not so much in the second, but still the opportunities were there. Uh, his rebounding wasn't as good in the second game as it was in the first. He had a double-double in the first game with 13 points and 12 rebounds, I think it was, uh, in this game against Army, uh, which had a little bit, bit, bit bigger ball club. He had uh, six rebounds, but he did score 20 points, and he was 9 of 11 in the shooting department with two or three at the free throw line. So he did a really good job in that asset. I think he really, the one thing he's working on, and I've interviewed him, the one thing he's working on is getting stronger. He's just got to get physically stronger. I think that's a key, especially when you get into Big Ten play against some of these physical specimens he's going to go up against. That'll be a key. But he is an intriguing figure. He's got the talent level. He's got the skill set to be a tremendous player. Uh, he, he probably needs to play a little bit harder, work a little bit harder at the defensive end sometimes, but he's working at it. And I can see an improvement just from watching the practices, the few that I've seen so far this year. Uh, I've seen him improve almost every time I've watched him. So I think that's a real positive sign. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, Xavier Johnson highlighted them not playing as hard in these early two games, they are from a practice standpoint. Coach Woodson highlighted trust being an issue. They got to buy into one another, trust one another. 18 turnovers last night against an Army team that was last in a lot of defensive categories. And to kind of build off of Jake's earlier question, it, is it as simple as that? I mean, I know Coach Woodson and what he wants out of this team isn't simplistic, but is it as simple as just getting familiar with one another and showing effort, not just in practice, but on the court while trusting each other at the same time? Well, I don't know if it's that simple, but there, there's there's got to be there's got to be an effort level. Uh, there's got to be a team level, if you know what I'm saying here. It's it's not an I game; it's a we game. Um, this ball club right now doesn't move the ball or share the basketball like I think that they need to, and I think that's probably the same scenario that Coach Woodson's talking about uh, in in the way the offense is playing right now. And the other end of the floor, the defensive guy, the guys that are not playing the minutes that you thought that they might, 
uh, Mackenzie and Baco and, and, uh, perhaps, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think who the other, oh, CJ Gunn, who would look to good in practices earlier on. Uh, even last night, Anthony Walker didn't get to play as much. It's, it's about effort. It's about believing, uh, or knowing, understanding what the coach is asking you to do out there. And I think a big part of that right now is a part of the learning process for some of these guys that are new to the program. Don, I've seen a lot of, in particular, former players from Indiana kind of tip the cap. And I've heard so much about, even before he arrived, the play of Gabe Cups. And it's interesting to me because he plays 22 minutes last night. He's one of those, and I know this is a cliche, he does the things you don't see in the box score. Because you look at the box score and it doesn't blow you away. But people have been very impressed by just kind of the intangibles he brings. If you had to you know, verbalize or put into words kind of the impact or the kind of player that he can be or that Mike Woodson envisions for him. What do you see out of the freshman from Ohio? Well, the thing I like most about him is just how hard he plays and how tough he is and what a competitor he is on the floor. That, to me, is the most impressive thing about the young man. He played 22 minutes last night. He was two for five from the field, one for four from the three-point line, so nothing big there. Five total points, had a couple of assists. Uh, he did have a couple of turnovers, but he played so hard. And when he comes into the game, you can see a difference uh, of how he goes about his business out there in comparison with some other guys. Uh, there is no let up in him when he gets on the court. He is just one of those guys that's relentless from a defensive standpoint. And he's smart as a whip when it comes to how to play the game. He moves people around when they need to be moved, that kind of thing. And he does it in a way that I think helps his teammates. And it's not a negative for him. I mean, it's not negative uh, on they how they approach him because he does it in a way that they understand. So I, I'm just really impressed with the kid. I, I know he's, he's not going to light up the statistic sheet all that much, uh, at least probably here in his first year in Indiana. But he is a special player in that regard because his basketball IQ is so high. Inside Indiana basketball, you can hear it tonight, 7.05 on this station. Then we go to the football side of things on Wednesday. Again, from a basketball scheduling standpoint, it is Indiana and Wright State. That game, now this says Don the 16th. I can't do the quick math in my head. That is Thursday Thursday night, Indiana and Wright State. Uh, And then again, Connecticut is going to be a big one upcoming as well. Don, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate right. it. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Khalil Ware is intriguing, for sure, because um, Jimmy, seven foot, I, you know the guy can play. Can he have the, the focus and the motivation to do it game in and game out? That's going to be the question, but that's going to be – and then, obviously, how do other guys kind of feed off of that, right? Mbako, uh, Malik Renew, who I think you know we want to see a little more consistency from. Although I think he's kind of understanding his role, but they got some talent in Indiana. It's a matter of messing it together. They had a size advantage all night last night, and it took them until the start of the second half to really realize, okay, we should just force feed Khalil Ware and Malik Renew, and good things are more than likely going to happen. They were getting beaten and denied in times at entry passes in that first half, forcing them to go away from it. And that's scary and frustrating to me because there's bigger, better bodies in the Big Ten, and that's got to get sorted out because if not, it's going to be a long in conference season for yeah. you. If you're not able to heavily rely on them, because there's no doubt they can play where and renew they're talented. They can play, but if they're going to be taken out of games and the ball is going to be sticking, 
you need other options at that point. And I, and I don't know where those are just yet. And Baco taking a leap forward as the season progresses, it'd be great. CJ Gunn finding a role on this team would be great. But too often times, if they take away their size advantage, they struggle. Again, very early, two games into the season. But that was a game against Army that, like I mentioned, I'm not making that stat up. Go look at Ken Palm. Go look at any advanced metrics. Army's not a good team. They were projected to score 24 points in the first half. Like, it... It was, it was it was not a good outing. 109 with it. Okay, now sir. Let's, okay. let's look let's, at their let's schedule. Let's proceed down that bridge carefully. Let's look at Army's schedule. They lost to Marist. Marist. 71-55. Yep. Nick Smith was probably there. Yep. They lost to Stonehill, yep. which is a lovely subdivision up there at about 116th yep. in Olio. They actually have a whole 50, program there, believe right. it or not. 57-44 yep. and then to Indiana, 72-64. Yep. They were up at the half. Again, it's one game. It's a long season, but super frustrating. Uh, yesterday, Colts, Patriots, Frankfurt. Mike Chappell joins us to discuss that and more coming up in 10 minutes. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Who was a bigger glutton for punishment yesterday? Fans in Germany that were subjected to watching the Colts and Patriots pillow fight, or last night, those of us here in the States that watched the Jets and the Raiders on Sunday Night Football. Us. They had Germany. Aiden O'Connell got a win, right? I was going to say Germany just because they don't get to see NFL football, and that's the product they get. Yeah, and like I said, they don't know the difference, right? Maybe. I wonder how much they do. I, I mean, hello. <laughs> that's what they say. Hello, mediocrity. You know how you say that in German? Hello, hello mediocrity. mediocrity. Yes. I thought it was hallow, though. I thought it was an H A. Well, uh, listen, that game was a little hallow for the vast majority of it. That's but a win's sure. a win, right? Dub's a dub. Mike Chappell joins us next to talk about it. Life is so much more than a diagnosis, it's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mike Chappell is here to talk to us about the Colts and Patriots game yesterday, the Colts season in general. Chap, of course, has covered every season that the Colts have spent here as the Indianapolis Colts, doing so currently for CBS4 and WXIN Fox 59. Um, Chap, I have a burning question that I have like various answers that have been sent to me about yesterday that has nothing to do with the game, and I'm going to put you on the spot by asking you this exact question. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. Okay. So the Colts presumably chartered to Germany for their game against the Patriots in Frankfurt. And then after the game, Shane Steichen said in the locker room, we'll see you guys a week from Monday. I'm under the impression or just kind of the gut feeling that they still, because they chartered there, would have to all have chartered back here and then go on about their merry way. Or is it possible that players from Germany were then free to go do whatever they wanted to and that some stayed over in Europe for vacation purposes on the bye? Oh, I think they came home and then they're, I mean, the idea that you'd have players stay over there and then on their own dime 
have to come home doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I, maybe, maybe, but I know I, it's, it's my impression they all come home and they get back to the airport and getting, you know, I think they settle probably to the, to the team complex and then they're got the week off. I, I just, I guess if a player wanted to stay, maybe, I guess, I don't know. I know. I, I think you go and come and then, then you're on your own. So the bye maybe week, I'm wrong. does the bye week usually start on that Monday or do they do things on Monday, Tuesday, and then kind of, it begins on Wednesday. No, I, 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 I think they're done. I, I think that that's what he was saying is there's no team activities until a week from today. Okay. So, uh, you know, they, and they, it, it's there were in that time when they have victory Mondays, you know, like team teams do. So they wouldn't have been in if they played next week, they wouldn't be in until Wednesday anyway, but this is no, they've got the, they got the week off. I, I, I guess if you're a player that had some juice, you could say, you know, I'm going to stay here with my family. Is that okay? And maybe, but that's not the way it's done generally. The the elephant in the room here, what is your level of concern about the play of Shaquille Leonard? Well, that you're going somewhere else, but that that's good. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, being very concerned, probably an 8. I thought yesterday was one of his weaker games, Le- weaker, less effective games. Uh, which, you know, it, it's I, – I, when we talked to Gus Bradley, this play about a, about a month ago, it's when he gave us the November. That's when we sort of expect to have him back and be full go and and be as close to his what he can be as he'll be. And I and – I, so, okay, I said, okay, fine. And I thought Sunday was not good. I mean, he had – and the problem is that he's under the microscope now. So when he misses a tackle, your mind says, well, what was up with that? Remember, he, he had the whiff on uh, Zeke Elliott on yeah. that screen pass. It went for like, you know, 19 yards. Well, I, I guess if if Zaire Franklin misses that tackle, you think, okay, well, this is different. This is, this is your guy, and this is a guy that has been lobbying, I guess is the best word, for more playtime. You know, it's one of those. Well, how can I how can I make splash plays if I'm not out there when splash plays are made? Are there to be made? Well, yesterday was a good chance for that. So yeah, I, I, I'm concerned, and I I just don't see it's going to take such a dramatic change in level of effectiveness over the last seven games for it to be a very, very quiet offseason regarding Shaq Leonard for a lot of reasons. Chap, do, do you feel like with Shaquille Leonard, is it, and maybe the the answer here may be C, both of the above, but if you had to lean towards it, his, his dip in effectiveness, is it A, his body is not cooperating with him to be able to have that extra 2% that made him special, or B, psychologically, because his body denied him for so long, he has that apprehension to find that extra 2% within him. Well, I'm going to take him in his word. I'm going to say A. Or what you say? Was it A or 1? Was it A and B? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The first one. The first one. Because he's told us that he, that he, he has confidence and this, that, and the other. So I, I think it's that, that those two surgeries, you know, two back surgeries and five, six months apart, I think it is it has taken something from him. Now, whether that's something that you know, so many times, although it was really more, you know, in, in you know, ten, fifteen years ago, where 
you're not really back until that next year. You know, the next year, a year after you come back, really, is when you gain regain things, maybe. But I think he's physically not capable of doing what he used to do, whether, whether it's a, being a half a tick slow, whether it's not having quite the strength. I don't know, but but he he just looked he's looked just a just a tick slow in reaction uh and i just have to believe that's surgery related which is if that's the case it's just a shame because his first four years were as good as it gets the dean so mike I, I, my ahead. bad chap no glad i'm sorry well and it's too bad because again the tra- trajectory he was on was really sky's the limit and we've seen through the course of the Colts' history that injuries rob players of, of something that might be really special. Maybe that happens again. Maybe he, maybe he recaptured that next year, but there's not a chance in hell that they're going to see this season go as it's going and say, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you that whatever it is, a $20 million cap hit next year it's not going to happen so i i just don't know how this thing's going to end nicely uh for Shaq. mike chapel of fox 59 and cbs4 is our guest chap i broke it out last week so i already have the clinically insane hat on but i broke out the playoff simulator because it's just the way my brain works and the colts could afford to go five and two over their next seven seven games to play and have like a 75 chance to make the playoffs. Now, Jake and I are going to talk about this a little bit later in the show. I don't want to waste your time with this. So the short version is around this time of year with the team they are, I don't see the full advantage of them getting to the postseason other than it would make the fans happy, the city happy. I think they're a one-and-done team. That said, is it fair of me to say I am willing to lament on that take but I need to see how they look against Cincinnati first. Not even beat Cincinnati, because I don't have them winning that game in this model, but I need to see how they look against Cincinnati because of anybody else they play that is probably the most competent offense left on their schedule. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, if it's 5-2, and two, I, I, the two you lose are probably Cincy and Houston. If, if you look at that, I mean, because C.J. Stroud is playing lights out. But I, I, I guess it just depends on what you need to see. I mean, I don't know what I would see against Cincinnati to say, and if they get in, they can win a game or two. I, I just don't see this team having that kind of juice to where if, if they find a way to get in. And, and I'm telling you, they can get in. Oh, I'm with you. AFC, I'm with you. What's it? Yeah, I, I just think the AFC is such a muddled mess right now. Uh, you got to hope that the AFC North beats each other up so that so that everybody doesn't get in. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I, I – uh, to me, it's beyond time to say, you know, they need to start losing so they can help their – Right. That, that, you know, the draft thing is, to me, they, they, they've won too many for that to really matter. I think any, if they could find a way with the third tiebreaker to get in by beating Houston, I mean, the, the pluses would be so immense in this first season – with a new coach that you believe is the guy, without your quarterback, without your guy, would be truly incredible. I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't. You can't. You can't win. You, you can't win consistently with 250 yards on offense and one touchdown. It can't happen. They're not that good everywhere else. Uh, 
but I think it'd be a cool story. And but I I I, I don't know what they need what they can show me against Cincy to really say yeah maybe because they're they're just not they're not equipped to be that competitive against high level teams I don't think. Mike, in the beginning of the conversation, I started talking about Shaq Leonard. You said you thought I was going to go a different direction. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you thought I was going towards Gardner Minshew. Is that <laughs> Yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> okay. So here, here's the question. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Jimmy at the beginning of the program. At the beginning of the year, Anthony Richardson – or excuse me, Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard hold a press conference and they say, we love Anthony Richardson. We love everything about him. Uh, but we we want this to be his internship year, so he is going to hold a clipboard, listen to headsets, and Gardner Minshew is our guy. If they'd have said that in week one, you would have predicted their record this year to be what? Well, initially I thought they would have won more games with Minshew than Richardson because I didn't think Richardson was that quite was quite that ready. Right, and and he was, and he was. Uh, five wins, and and here we are with five wins. Okay, the reason I say it that way is because here they are. They're in the hunt. Now, that donut tire might be starting to blister a little bit. Yeah, I think so. But to me, Gardner Minshew has done, to this point, what it is that you would have hoped that he could do. It's just that you're now asking him to do perhaps more than what his initial job description was, as weird as that sounds. Why are we hard on Gardner Minshew? Well, because he's got to play better. And you're right. You're right. Uh, it's just it's been about a month ago, and everybody was, this is the best backup quarterback in the NFL and all of this. And we don't need to spend 20 minutes trashing Gardner Minshew. That's not the point. That's not to think he's got to play better. He, he there's not. We're going to see these stacked lines like we had the last couple of weeks and with Jacksonville until they throw the ball down the field consistently. I mean, he threw for whatever it was yesterday, just short of 200 yards. And I'm telling you, his receivers bailed him out. You know, Josh Downs and, and Pittman and uh, the, the great catch by Alec Pierce. It. it for a quarterback to not be sacked and to be credited with one hit against him, he ran around like, like, like you know, they, they were blitzing four guys. So he's just got to, I guess, settle down, and he's got to, he, he's got to just be the game manager that I think he's equipped to be. But until they can be competent in the pass game, then you can't be who you are. You can't be the team that's going to run the ball come hell or high water because I don't care how good the backs are, or and I think the lines play pretty well. It's just hard when there's always more people to block than, than, than you've got. And, you know, even Jonathan Taylor's touchdown yesterday on fourth down, holy smokes, it took him, you know, I mean, patient, patient to the right, and it finally took Kylie Grants and, you know, getting the good block. So you're right. You're right. It's, this is this is probably what you would expect from the start if Minshew got in there for the long term. This is probably what you expect. What's kind of blurred it was the two good games against what was it, Houston and Tennessee that he came off the bench and played really, really well. But right now teams are totally game planning for a Minshew-led offense. And, and right now they're saying, hey, if you, if you can beat us passing the ball, knock yourself out. 
but number 28's not beating us. And, and you know, how, how they get out of that, I don't know. They've, they've simply got to be more efficient throwing the ball. I'm not saying air it out all over the place, but you've got to have some threat uh, of throwing the ball competently. You know, we're back, we're back to Jacoby Brissett football. And I know how much we all complained about the dink and dunk, and although, although really Brissett was a little more efficient, I think, uh, except when it came to pushing the ball down the field. So, yeah, it, it's just that he's no longer the backup. He's a starter. And you need your starter to play better, more more, more efficient, I guess. And, and he's always been a 65 66% thrower, and that's, he's not getting that done now. The interception yesterday was awful, just awful. When, when, when you've got a game that's going to be like it is, you cannot, you cannot – do what the Patriots did with those two got awful interceptions. So it, he, he's got to play better. And that's, you know, again, I agree with you that he's playing probably like everyone anticipated, you know, in, in August, if you say he's going to play a lot and say, well, this is what we're going to get because this is who he's been. But now that he's, now that he's a guy, he's got to play better. And I, I think however they do the rest of the season, obviously it depends on how well, how much he can lift his game. Not a bunch, but just a little bit because he's, he's got to play better. You know, it's interesting, Mike, when you look at – because there is that school of thought of, okay, like, Jimmy, to your point, if they're not going to make a run in the playoffs, then at some point you start playing again for draft position because you need pieces around Anthony Richardson. Except, chap, the reality is, you know, when it comes to good draft picks, I mean, with Tennessee in the league and Denver in the league and the Giants in the league and the Bears in the league and the Panthers in the league and the Cardinals in the league and, you know, the Patriots in the league, I, there's kind of you're, no you're point looking, you're in looking top, You're looking best, best bet at a top 10 pick, maybe. Correct. Correct. Right. So, like, at this point, you might as well get some, you know, get, right. get some of that under your belt. But um, the other thing about yesterday, I was curious about your thought on. They obviously were able to get to Mac Jones. They, the Colts yesterday might have. There's there's not a thing from yesterday's game, truthfully, that a year from now any of us are going to want to look back and talk about. But is it possible? You know, maybe they ended the Mac Jones in New England era, but did they get to Mac Jones and rattle him because this defensive line and the pass rush that Chris Ballard has tried to build is finally coming together? Or was that as much about New England's offensive line ineptitude and Mac Jones? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, along with the Mac Jones era being done, I mean, that that could have gone a long way towards the Bill Belichick era as well. Right, because he's not going to – I was saying earlier, chap, the reality is for Belichick, if you're, if you're Bill Belichick and you look at it and you go, okay, now I know this guy that I thought maybe we could build around has been exposed – you know, is Bill Belichick really going to want to like suddenly now go and find himself a young quarterback and have to build around it and wait? Now you're talking two to four years before you really get your footing. I mean, at that point, he's got to be checked out, right? Well, it's kind of like the argument you you posed last week, a couple of weeks ago, is if you're Robert Kraft, do you trust Bill Belichick to do that? Right. His drafts have not been good. Correct. I mean, Mac Jones was his guy. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a really good question. So, so yeah, I just – if you don't trust him to, to – it's, it's kind of funny. I saw part of the interview with Kraft yesterday. So this is this is greatly disappointing. And, you know, in my 30 years, I've never been two and seven. Well, yeah, you were in 2000. So, you know, you know it wasn't totally rewrite history. So, but, but that, that, that's what's interesting about all this is, 
it's a if it's not going to be just a tweaking in New England. It's going to be a blow up. And if you're going to blow it up, do you, do you do you let the guy who put you in position to to be you know to have it blown up help you rebuild it? So, but 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 on the Colts pass rush, encouraged. I mean, the fact that Dio went out there and had three sacks in about 18 minutes was encouraging. Uh, I think I think the Colts secondary is playing a little better, which has given the pass rush a little bit more time. But I, I wish people outside Indy would really pay attention to DeForest Buckner. He's just kicking ass up front, and it's it's opening things up for other players. And when that happens, that's when the other players have to step up and, and play well. And that and that's what Dio did. Quiddy got him a sack, and, and Tyquan Lewis both you know left the game early with injuries and came back. So that's encouraging. It's just what what's bothered me about the Colts pass rush the last this year and last year was it it's hit and miss you know when, when they really when they're on they they really you know, they had six this early this season against uh, Stroud I think it was but then like last year they it just goes away and you can't have that it'll help to get Grover Stewart back I, I've lost track how much more time he's got another game or two because they're getting run to death and they can't they can't allow that to happen but What's really encouraging is when we're talking about the rest of the season, the seven games, and this, that, and the other. They only face really two, you know, really tough quarterbacks with with Burrow and Stroud, and the rest of them are just guys. I mean, Baker Mayfield shouldn't scare anybody. And they're, they're, it, it's we're we're, we're going to be sitting here in December and think, man, if, if they only hadn't lost to, to, to the Browns and to the Saints, and look where they would be. Yeah, but that that's who these that's that's who this is. That's who this team is. It, it's a flawed team, and the fact they won these two games with two touchdowns is certainly not sustainable. But it, it, it's a fun ride. They're, they're they're at least interesting. They're at least interesting. So I, I'm curious where they go. I just if they don't get better play from a quarterback, this defense is not good enough to win week after week after week. It's just not. So whatever they do the rest of the way, they've got to get better play from. Uh, Minshew, you just have to. You know what's funny, Mike? You mentioned Stewart. When Grover Stewart, who's in a contract year, got the PED suspension, the overriding narrative, probably from me as well, was like, man, this could really hurt his contract negotiation. In a weird way, yeah. in a weird way, does this maybe help it? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But we knew we knew his value. It's like whenever Buck is not in there, I mean, uh, the defense isn't nearly as good. Yeah, you're right. It just shows you. Yeah, we knew he was he was he was really important, and now we see how much he really is important. Uh, but a lot of these guys in contract years, Kenny Moore, Michael Pittman's sort of different. But a lot of these guys, it's going to depend on how how hard they're going to push to maximize their their re-signing power. You know, I, I think Grover's a guy you bring back. I just do. I think Kenny Moore is a guy you you try to bring back. I think they have more value to the Colts than they do on the open market. I, I just do if if the players are reasonable, whatever reasonable is. I mean, if I'm a player, I'm not giving a team a hometown discount. I'm I'm getting I'm getting whatever the heck I can get. This will be their last big contract. Michael Pittman's different, and I tell you, Michael Pittman. He just he, he, he we've talked about this. He, he's like Miles Turner. You want more from Miles Turner? 
but that's who he is. This is sort of who Michael Pittman is, certainly with these with these quarterbacks. But he's he, he's pretty good. He just is. He makes tough catches. You want more in the, in the vertical passing game, but I think he's really a key part of that offense. And boy, Josh Downs didn't practice last week and makes that 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 catch was huge. It, it flipped the field, and it wasn't an easy catch. So I, I, I like pieces around Minshew, but it, it, how they handle the offseason on some of these guys is going to be really, really interesting, led by what they do and how they handle Shaq. With us, the Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4. Chap, I'm not going to use the carry distribution because I feel like that's probably unrealistic. 23 to 1 is the way things go between John and Taylor and Zach Moss. I'll use the snap counts instead. 50 to 9, that's workhorse level back numbers, yeah. kind of what we were used to in the previous Jonathan Taylor iteration prior to the contract holdout and prior to them keeping their word about revamping him up week after week. Regardless of what the rest of the offense does, and I get it, if teams are going to stack, then maybe they do have to air it out more, but is that about where you expect it to be the rest of the way for JT? I, well, I, I wrote like 10 days ago, I know I thought it was going to be 60-40. I thought they had sort of showed us it was going to be that way. But uh, it, it's almost like it's game to game with these guys. It, it, you try to find a pattern, and then it's 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 different. You know, they, I, I thought it was really novel they had both guys out there in a split backfield on several plays. Uh, although Taylor got, you know, all but one of the carries, so I thought they'd use Moss more. Uh, maybe they will going forward. Uh, but but it, it was really strange that, that Taylor had what was it twenty three carries. And only got 69 yards. That just showed you how tough running it is. Normally, if he gets 23 carries, he's going to break a couple. Didn't happen. I, 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 I just I don't think they're going to forget Zach Moss, and, and they shouldn't. But 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 I, I go back to what I said. It, unless they start showing some 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 ability to push the ball down the field and, and make people back off the line of scrimmage, you know, it's going to be hard to run. Now, even having said that, you should get more than two point six a carry. That's that's just not that, that that's just not sustainable at all. But I was a little surprised it was twenty three to one. I really was. I would be surprised if it remains that totally imbalanced. But again, I just think Steichen's sort of a week to week guy, and I'm curious how how that thing is moving forward. I really thought Moss would be more involved, not 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 so much in percentage of snaps, but in in touches. That wasn't the case uh, in Germany. Mike, I wanted to go back to one other thing, kind of in conclusion here, and, and we've talked about this before, but I think it merits mm-hmm. pointing out DeForest Buckner is a great player, and DeForest Buckner is one that came into a situation where there are a lot of great players that would have said, I don't necessarily want to be here for this. I, trade me or let me hold out or whatever it may be. Can you just kind of speak to or illuminate for people that are not close to it the professionalism that he exudes by going in and playing at the level that he does despite the fact that he's on a team that probably at this point in the prime of his career is not a Super Bowl contending team and one that he you know he came from a situation like that I just think the guy deserves all the credit in the world for his approach and at least from my observation never once taking issue or having any problem at all with that locker room he's in no question. Now, of course, he's being paid handsomely. So, right. you know, well, there are a lot of guys that get paid handsomely, and that's not enough, right? True, true. And I think I think he could have gone in like Stefan Gilmore and said, you know, I, I I really need to be with a team. I really want to be with a team that's got a chance to do something. I don't want to be 
part of what might be a two or three year rebuild here. And I know I know Buck had a long conversation with Chris Ballard. Now, what wh- wh- whether 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 Ballard had to sort of talk Buck into staying or whether they were sort of on the same page, I don't know. But whatever Ballard said to him resonated with him, and you know it, it might have been, hey, we're not we're not going to be. This isn't a three year rebuild. You know, bear with us this year, stick with us, and then boy, next year we're going to see. But no, there's no question. He, and he's got not a lot of players like, like Jonathan Taylor with his, with his hold-in, whatever you want to call it. Not a lot of players have the juice to do that. They just don't. Not a lot of players have, you know, the clout to go in and say like Gilmore, "Hey, I really," you know, he was he might have been their best defensive player last year, and he he asked to be traded, and and they and they you know agreed to do that. I'm if Buck had really gone in there and said, "Listen." I appreciate all you guys have done for me, the trade, the contract, and all this. But I, I'm just not willing, interested, whatever, to, to be patient. I, I need I, you know, the clock's ticking. I need to go somewhere. And they they would have gotten a pretty good package, I think, for Bucks. He again, he's top three or four in his position. So yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that first Ballard did a great sell job with him, whatever it was. Uh, but but then Buck is is. He, he he's just kind of going to work, and he plays hurt. Uh, he 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 just does what you need. He, he's an anchor on that team. He could it could have gone differently. It certainly could have. He could have really been a pain in the ass. Although that's although that's not him. That's not him at his at his core. So he I don't think he would have been that kind of a player. But he I think he could very much have have uh, insisted, urged a trade. Uh, but he didn't, so you know, kudos to him. Mike, appreciate you making time for us as always. Good talking to you each week, and we will set things off next week in the countdown of Tampa Bay. Enjoy the bye. Guten Tag. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know what goodbye is in German? Jimmy? Goodbye. You know yeah, it's goodbye, right? <laughs> I'll tell you, that is just the most fascinating thing that I th- to learn all that. I couldn't believe it. Eddie, did you know that? Did you know that hello in German is hello? I did. No idea. Did uh, our translator do that for you? <laughs> I forgot about it. We haven't used the translator in a while, have we? No, we, we not, haven't. No. Uh, didn't we have a name for the translator? The elixir? Oh, that's right. Yes. Think, that's, the, that's the athlete translator. Yes. I, I forgot. I bought the, and I've got to renew the package because I bought the cheap deal on that, right? Yeah. We haven't used it much. I don't think we've we used it in a we couple weeks. We haven't used any athlete sound bites in a while and, that and, need translation. And, right? I, and I know you you spent a lot of money on this too. Which I is did. Very upsetting. I did, and I yeah, found out since we have no HR department, we have no, we also have no petty cash, so mm. nobody to turn that and expense it to, right? Negative. What can we say, right? All um, out of your pocket. Speaking of petty cash, we're not going to be petty about it, but we are going to break down and talk about some areas maybe of concern yesterday, which is weird to say in a win. I realize Colts going to win yesterday, but. Areas of concern. We'll find out what is bothering perhaps Jimmy about exactly that and more when we come back to Quarry and Company. Thanks for listening to us on a Monday, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Before Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. We get back into the Colts and Patriots. I wanted to offer a couple of house cleaning notes. The first being this. Uh, I was... I've noticed now, I know what it was. I was driving down Fall Creek and I noticed that at the state fairgrounds, they already are doing the holiday lights. And I'm like, it's not Thanksgiving yet. And they're already, they've got up the, I mean, you can go through now and do the whole, the Christmas lights, um, which is cool. I, I, fine. I usually don't start thinking about the holidays till after Thanksgiving, truth be told. But since everybody seems to have, be getting a head start this year and anxious for their, all their holiday stuff. Uh, Firefly was formerly known as the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis. Now, I've been to the Children's Bureau on a number of occasions. And what the Children's Bureau is, for those that are unfamiliar, hypothetical situation, late at night, domestic disturbance, the police come to a house, and there's a domestic violence situation or some sort of a situation where the children need to be immediately removed for their own safety. The safe refuge, if you will, in this town where they are taken is Firefly, which is up on North Michigan Road, formerly known as the Children's Bureau. And Firefly also has programs for um, those who have been victims of rape or different abuse situations, but they house the children there until they either can go into a facilitated foster program or be reunited with a parent in a safe environment, but the children live at firefly they are still taken to their normal school they try to to facilitate for those kids a normal day-to-day life and operation and make things as seamless as possible in the face of terrible adversity with that for the children that are at firefly during the holidays they have those kids come up with a christmas wish list and you can sponsor a child i've done this every year for a number of different years and it's a very it's a great initiative. It's a very gratifying feeling to do. Many of these kids that have nothing don't have huge requests, um, but you can you know you get the list of of the needs for a child, and then you drop the gifts off eventually back at Firefly. You can find out more by the way at h four h, okay, that's the letter h h four h dot firefly org. If you're having questions, you can always text me. I think most people at this point have my cell phone number. Text me and I will get you the information how you can agree to sponsor and adopt a child. You can also, if you don't want to uh, adopt a child directly, start a collection. They will take those as well. There are areas of need all listed. And then, of course, finances as well. So that's number one. Number two, I want to thank Washington Township Schools for over the course of the weekend on Saturday evening. They had an event at AMP, which is a super cool place down off of Indiana Avenue, that was a fundraiser for the Washington Township Foundation, and they honored Dr. Eugene White, who is, in my opinion, the greatest educator in Indianapolis. And it was a great honor to be able to give uh, kind of the introductory speech for Dr. White before him being honored by Washington Township Schools. He means the world to me, so I want to thank them for facilitating for that, uh, for me to be able to do that on Saturday night, which I had a tremendous time doing. And number three, don't you do something for Thanksgiving each year as well with that coming up around the I corner? I do. Uh, we have, my sister actually gets credit for that for Thanksgiving. When I worked in St. Louis, Eddie, um, everybody that I worked with, and maybe this says more about me, but people that I worked with were all like, hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I was covering the Rams at that time. And I'm like, they've got, I got to go to work on Friday. So 
probably nothing. I don't really have time to go home. I'm like, oh, okay, that that sucks. Well, anyway, see you on Monday. And my mom just couldn't believe that nobody was like, well, do you want to come to our house? So uh, as a result of that, every year I have sent out a tweet asking anybody who is living in Indianapolis that does not have family or friends in the area, whether you're stuck for work, whether you're from out of town, whatever it might be, that if you need somewhere to go for Thanksgiving, you are more than welcome to come to our house. And my sister, Juge, actually gets credit because it's her home. Um, we have, I believe right now, four people that are going to be coming, and we welcome them every year. My, they sign a placemat at the house, and we have fun looking over at the people. that Sometimes people have come back for multiple years, um, but we always have fun with that. So we look forward to that coming up here two weeks from Thursday, right, is Thanksgiving? Is that right? Um, and then we'll sit around and watch bad football, which I guess yesterday some people in Germany did. It was not a great game, Jimmy, but the reality is the Colts got a win. And I know it's it, it's kind of a cliche, right? A win is a win, and you don't necessarily look, look a gift horse in the mouth. But when you watched that game yesterday, Jimmy, did you come away from it with more optimism about the fact that the Colts did what they had to do and took care of business against back-to-back lesser opponents or is it starting to more show some glaring areas of weakness for the Colts? It's the latter. Mike Chappell put it very well with the comparison when we talked to him last hour. You can find that a little later today. Just search Query and Company wherever you get your podcasts. The offense does have kind of a Jacoby Brissett or like just a, you know, they're not going to be able to move the ball other than with Jonathan Taylor type of feel to them. And it's weird because there's been flashes there. Like Chap highlighted a couple games. I would throw out another one. I'd throw out the Cleveland game. Like Minshew looked great against a defense that was able to cause a little bit of havoc and on the back of some nice play from their offense as well, but upset Baltimore yesterday. Like we know it's a weird league, but you're able to do that one week, pass for over 300 yards, even though it was a loss. But you look like, okay, this is an offense that you get Jonathan Taylor back up to speed and maybe they have something there. Two back-to-back games against Carolina and New England and it's like, all right, we don't trust you to do anything other than hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor, Nick and Dunk manage the game and get us from point A to point B. And on the one hand, that's great. Like, they're winning games. I'm with Chap. Like, they might really make the playoffs. It, it, it is no longer a crazy thought for how they can get there you lose two games heck you could lose three games and maybe have a conversation about it still depending on how the rest of the AFC playoff picture plays out but let's say you go five and two that's likely the last spot in the dance and you're also right Jake they're too far gone at this point to where you're going to drastically improve where you're going to be picking in April's draft So on the one hand, they've made a bed for themselves of, hey, maybe we end up with a playoff spot. It's growth for the team. Be good for a first-year head coach. That's how you build off it. The other window, though, that is right behind their backside, this might be a mediocre year where you're at the worst-case scenario, which is not only do you not make the playoffs, but you're picking middle of the pack. Here's the surprising thing. If you look at where the Colts are in terms of just the AFC in general, okay? So right now in the AFC, if the playoffs were to start today, which they don't, so it's kind of irrelevant, but 
the Colts are hanging around. The, you know, Kansas City's going to win their division. Baltimore's going to win their division. And Jacksonville's going to win their division, right? Then you got either Miami or Buffalo is going to win the East. So outside of that, you start looking at the teams that you would be vying for for a playoff spot. Buffalo's one or Miami, whichever one doesn't win that division, is probably going to get a playoff spot. But if you look at the schedule remaining, which one do you want to look at, Miami or Buffalo, Jimmy? Miami. Okay, so Miami's remaining schedule. No, I take that back. I'm sorry to change on the fly. The reason I'm changing is I know Buffalo has at least one or two more significant opponents on there, so let's say Buffalo. Okay, so Buffalo's remaining schedule. Right now, Buffalo, 5-4. and four. So the Bills have remaining... And obviously, the Bills have gone through their bye, and, and the Colts have not. The Broncos, there's win six. The Jets, there's probably win seven. And then they go Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys. They could lose all three of those. Chargers, they probably win that. There's eight. Patriots, nine. And then against the Dolphins. Uh, so the Bills, realistically, could be a nine or ten win team. That puts you right in the hunt, right? Because that's about what you probably anticipate that Indianapolis is going to be. Now, let's look at Cleveland. Cleveland, well, we'll go with Cincinnati. Cincinnati also at five and four. If you look at Cincinnati's remaining schedule, Ravens, and that's in Baltimore. Quick turnaround, too. Steelers at home. Let's say they get that. They're six. Jaguars in Jacksonville. I think they get that. That's seven. Then they got the Colts. That could be a huge game by then, right? Because they finished with Vikings, Steelers, Chiefs, and Browns. One would think Cincinnati's going to get to 10, maybe 11, right? Yeah. But you're right there in the thick. The problem is, here. here's the easiest way to say it. At this point, the Colts are, there would be, there's a lot that would have to go wrong for the Colts to fall completely away from the wild card contending teams as opposed to Bless you. those things that would take place for them to fall away from or, or to get back into contention with and run with those that are vying for a top-five pick. They're already three games clear of those teams that are terrible. And and they probably are going to stay within three games of all those teams we just mentioned. So do you just go for it at this point and take the experience of it and get your young guys acclimated and used to that? I guess so, right? Yeah, I mean, we're you're past the point of no return at this point. And even as bad as the secondary is, and it'll get a little bit better when Juju Brents gets back, for certain, as bad as the offense is, you have winnable games the rest of the way. This is why, despite some people on Twitter were like, oh, it's not really a soft schedule. No, it is. It is built just like the NFL wants it to be built, which is if you had a really bad year the year before and you have a productive offseason, you are going to have the opportunity to earn a playoff berth the next year based on schedule alone. It doesn't always happen that way. And you give credit to the Colts for winning the games that they have, but that's where they're at right now. And you do comparison scoreboard watching on teams around the rest of the AFC. And now it becomes a real game of not just chance anymore, but reality that they could be that last team that gets in. But then is there one more team that's lurking that we haven't talked about and is there precedent to tell us that we shouldn't be overly concerned about them? I'll answer and explain both next. Jim 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Are you ready? Let's go. Name the band. I think we've done this one before. Can't do it. Come on, man. No. I played this game. I the, the best answer, if you really don't know, is not to know. Otherwise, Eddie... Chops it up, adds it to a highlight package, and then it's played <laughs> until the end of time. So no, I think we I did. I think we did this exact game with that exact song before, didn't we? Possibly, Maybe. possible. Do you want multiple choice? No. Sure. Yeah, I'll play along. Fine. Okay. Let me let me think of two other bands that would be suitable for you know in the in the category, if you will. Right. Uh, that band that you just heard is either is either I should say. Um, Journey, Def Leppard, Aerosmith, or Ario Speedwagon? What's the question I was... Who sings the song you just played? Ario Speedwagon. Oh. Okay. Eddie? Aerosmith. Yeah, Aerosmith is correct. Okay, there you go. Uh, when you look at the NFL... Glad we did that. Who, who's the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Baker Mayfield. Is he scare you? No. Number one pick in the draft, right? Yeah. Pretty good rookie year, right? Yeah. When he was taken number one overall, there were people that were like, whoa, really? Baker Mayfield? That was kind of a surprising number one pick. And then he he justified it. Commercials about him. He's living inside the stadium. He was Hulu has live sports. What's that? Hulu has live <laughs> sports. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and then, like water finds its level, right? The way that he played and the start that he got off to for his career came back down to earth when people kind of figured him out and figured out his tendencies and, you know, et cetera. And he's, I'm not saying he's a terrible player. I like Baker a lot. Right. I'm like, not saying I'm, he's I'm, a terrible I'm a fan agree. of Baker Mayfield. I don't root for him to fail. But you asked if he instills fear in me. No. Right. Sam I mean, Howell is, is what the Browns hope Baker Mayfield would be. Yeah. Like Sam Howell's a, a sufficient, competent player, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you know baker mayfield is he's he's fine but he's not like holy cow you, you know lifetime contract kind of guy right uh, to be honest with you early in his career number two overall pick zach wilson and when i say early i mean like maybe five or six games showed some flashes where you're like man this guy's got a good arm he's got a live arm he's, he's kind of athletic people figured him out water found its level and here we are C.J. Stroud and what he is doing in Houston is remarkable. You could make the argument that C.J. Stroud right now, and the Texans are right there in position where they could. Somebody just sent me a thing, and it's true. They could overtake Jacksonville. The Texans could win the division. And C.J. Stroud, what he is doing is incredible. 2,626 yards, right? A quarterback rating of 101. He's thrown for 15 touchdowns and two picks, two interceptions, and 15 touchdowns. Then you throw in the fact that they haven't used him in any way, shape, or form for this necessarily, but he can run a little bit if if all hell breaks loose. But what did Zach Kiefer tell us during the combine? C.J. Stroud had said, like, I'm a ball placement specialist. Mm-hmm. He was incredibly accurate at Ohio State. He was lightning in a bottle at times. I mean, it was what he was able to do. He definitely made you 
shaking your boots a little bit defensively. And he's so far off to that start in Houston, and you look at it and you go, look, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, that was the discussion, and there is no doubt this is the guy. And there is no doubt that C.J. Stroud, Houston's got themselves – I mean, they, they moved on from Deshaun Watson, and now they have a guy that is a younger, bigger version of that accuracy across the middle and that touch and that lightning-in-a-bottle kind of guy. But does Baker Mayfield, Zach Wilson, you know, I mean, I could go back further back to guys that, that we've long since forgotten about, but the precedent of guys getting out to flash in the pan, lightning in a bottle, Aaron Brooks comes to mind. I, you know, I always go back to, and this is in the way back machine, but like Rick Meyer comes to mind. But guys that from the get-go looked like they were, it was like, holy cow. And then, you know, for that matter, we thought maybe Brock Purdy was starting to show that yesterday. I thought he was really good. But he started to see some adversity and and started to come down to, to earth just a little bit. But which is it with C.J. Stroud? Which are we seeing? And while I think he is off to a great start and there is the possibility that Houston – surpasses Jacksonville and they maybe even win the division here in his rookie year there is precedent to tell us that I think we still need to see another year of it now I have been and during the draft process I was vociferous about my love for CJ Stroud and that's who I wish the Colts would have gotten and we know obviously that he went a spot ahead so it doesn't you know couldn't have, couldn't happen anyway but I'm curious to see whether or not he sustains this. And while it looks like Houston is going to be something to deal with in the South for a long time, just remind yourself we thought that about Baker Mayfield in Cleveland and, and other quarterbacks in the past as well. Victory. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Monday, Blue Monday for the Colts. 10-6 winners over the Pats across the pond and suddenly find themselves in the thick of things in terms of playoff conversation. Jake, we were looking at where things stand in that playoff picture. And I know this is what you were alluding to, which is why we talked to or talked about rather CJ Stroud and what the Texans have done over the last couple of weeks. There's a conversation to be had that depending on how things play out for the Colts, that week 18 game against the Texans decides a playoff spot. So instead of deciding a top three pick, correct? you know what I mean? A year removed, we're no longer worried about where the draft order is, we're worried about who's punching a ticket into the NFL playoffs, which also makes me more frustrated and feel bad for Colts fans because this would be such a more enticing, tantalizing conversation if Anthony Richardson was involved in the equation. There's envy there, right? If you're a Colts fan, there's envy with what's happening in Houston because you have to wait. Not necessarily that you got the wrong guy. We're not there yet. I'm, I'm not willing to say that just yet for a number of different reasons aside from the fact that Colts would have had to trade up to go get him but there's envy as a Colts fan because the Texans are having the season you wanted to have which is letting your rookie quarterback go play and maybe surprising folks and get a playoff spot here's another question let me let me throw you a 
are you a scenario or scenario guy? I'm very much tomato, tomato. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll interchange where needed. I believe I'm scenario. But let me throw you a scenario, and, and then you tell me which way you interpret it. Okay. The Indianapolis Colts selected fourth in the NFL draft. There were, theoretically, four quarterbacks that were thought to be guys that you could hand your keys to. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson. The Colts sat at four and did not move. And that, I mean, I'm not critiquing them for that at all, but they decided not to make a trade and that they would be okay drafting at the fourth position. We knew that, that one of the spots in front of them was not going to be a quarterback. So, when it came down to it, they were aware of the fact that they were going to choose probably between Levis and Richardson. After they drafted Anthony Richardson, Jim Irsay, and I can't recall if Chris Ballard said this or not, but Jim Irsay definitively did say, if we had the number one pick, Richardson's the guy we were going to go with. That's the guy that we had zeroed in from day one. That's the guy that Chris Ballard fell in love with, Anthony Richardson. So, now seeing what C.J. Stroud is doing, and there was certainly reason to believe that this was going to be what C.J. Stroud was going to be because of how dominant he was at times at Ohio State against a lot of defenses that had a lot of Sunday players on it. And he was absolutely torching everybody when he was a Buckeye when, once he got into that situation. He was so good that the only knock or complaint that was made against him and this happened nationally, it happened sometimes on these airwaves, was, well, look at all the talent that he has around him. There's no way he's going to be that good in the National Football League because he's never going to have that level of talent, particularly in the passing game, that he had at Ohio State. Like that, That's, that's the only real knock against C.J. Stratus. He does all these things well, but he's doing it with five stars on the bench. How is he going to do it at the next level? Now... Here's my question for you. Okay. If the Colts were emphatic that Anthony Richardson was their guy all along and that that's who they would have taken number one overall, and if C.J. Stroud is on pace to throw for just under 5,000 yards, to shatter Andrew Luck's rookie record for passing yardage, to lift the Houston Texans into playoff contention should he stay healthy, and to at this point throw 15 touchdowns against two interceptions, and at least on two occasions I can think of in the last month, with the ball in his hands at the end of the game, drive his team all the way down into contention to score the points that won the game for them. If C.J. Stroud is able to do all of those things – do you believe when you hear Jim Irsay retroactively, you go back and hear him say, we would have taken Anthony Richardson number one overall, does that lead you to believe that, yes, in fact, they know that Anthony Richardson has shown them something that, wow, I can't wait to see what this guy does when he's healthy and totally uncorked, or does it show you that they completely misevaluated C.J. Stroud? You can't definitively say the second one until two years from now, until everybody's had a fair shot at the dance floor which Anthony Richardson has not had. So I can't say that one, but that is what is clear right now. That would be the answer, but it's an unfair answer. 
And regards to the first one about did they see it and uh, we should be optimistic because there's something brewing there and just give it time. Well, you should with any quarterback. But what you should really view it as is coach speak, owner speak, when you make the flashy pick. What are you going to say? Yeah, I mean, this guy was there for us, so whatever. We're happy about it. We'll see if things work out. You're not taking an Eeyore approach when you're picking top five. You're hyping it up. Oh, I think easily the best pick in the draft. We would have taken him number one. No, it, it's it's just pandering, and that's what you do. I get that. What the clear answer will be in two years, Jake, two, maybe three seasons, because the Colts are clearly in on Chris Ballard, in on this partnership. If this is where the fork in the road occurs and C.J. Stroud winds up being an all-pro quarterback and winds up being the next in line to this lineage of great AFC quarterbacks, if that's the conversation we're having and Anthony Richardson is less or behind than that and it hampers the franchise, it's on one man and one man only. It's on Chris Ballard. Because the Colts can say all they want that, oh, we always wanted Anthony Richardson. The argument you made, the argument I made around the time of the draft was, if you're a general manager and you don't like where you're picking, but you believe a franchise transcending talent is there, you move heaven and earth to go get him. The Panthers did that. They probably took the wrong guy. I think the Panthers took the guy that the owner wanted and Frank Reich did not. I think Frank Reich, I have nothing to base this on other than tea leaves and body language, but I think Frank Reich absolutely 100% wanted C.J. Stroud. I mean, Frank Reich at C.J. Stroud's pro day, Frank Reich with his cell phone at C.J. Stroud's pro day looked like a 13-year-old girl at a Taylor Swift concert. And didn't Josh McCown who, who say dapped, something? Who dapped to, him up? Didn't he dap Josh him up? McCown. Yeah, Josh McCown dapped up C.J. Stroud his yeah, pro day. dapped up C.J. Stroud at his pro day and said, oh yeah, we'll be talking to you in like June yes, or whatever. Yes, No, that was audio that went viral because or they did that. Or play hoops or something. Yes. It was about basketball. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Stroud looks the part, man. There's no doubt about that. And, and I just watched... You know, for me, it was it was more just about watching him and the way that he would at Ohio State. And yes, he's throwing to guys that are all going to be playing on Sundays. And, and you know my narrative on that because we've talked about the difficulty sometimes for guys to acclimate at the league level when they're throwing to guys that, that are not getting separation and they're used to throwing to guys that always had separation, which he did when he's throwing to guys at Ohio State. But... All of that said, C.J. Stroud, to me, literally like was laser pinpoint accuracy in college. I mean, it didn't matter. I don't care if Marvin Harrison Jr. had eight car, uh, you know, car lengths ahead of everybody else. The reality stride, is... stride, perfect pass totally, through any window, totally, on the run, anything totally. you ask for him, he's doing it. Yes. And led the receiver. Yes. Threw guys open. Yep. And the thought was, oh, he's not going to be able to do that in the NFL. Those are throws you're not going to be able to make on Sunday. And he's not been perfect. He doesn't have to be perfect. He's a rookie. But the fact he's doing what he has done not only makes you want to see more from him, but yeah, he's the clear-cut front-runner right now of best quarterback from that class. I get it. We have the opportunity and the blessing of hindsight. And I think Anthony Richardson deserves and will get the opportunity 
to answer the challenge. And I'm sure it's super frustrating for him and all those at West 56th Street because you're seeing this in your own division and you don't have an opportunity to answer because your guy's on the mend. You will next year, but that's life in the NFL. I'm not sold yet that Anthony Richardson can't be a good pro, but if you were in the camp... And I, we were evaluating so many different quarterbacks. So I'm not going to – I went to bat for Bryce Young a time or two because I felt like he was being unfairly criticized at times for his size and for kind of the same argument that was made about C.J. Stroud in terms of the weapons that were around him. That said, when I was asked, and Eddie and I did this exercise a couple times, who I'd rather take, I was with you, Jake. I would rather had C.J. Stroud. The Colts decided they were going to stand pat. They didn't want to trade up and give up the assets. And now we see what Anthony Richardson winds up being for them. That doesn't mean the conversation's over, but Stroud's the one that's healthy. Stroud's the one that is a dark horse MVP candidate right now. Probably not going to win it. Eddie and I were talking about it during the break, but if they win out and he keeps playing how he does, he deserves to be a part of that conversation. And no one had clear-cut confidence about him like that other than potentially Frank Reich and the Texans. Hey, Jake, is it too early to say that the Panthers taking Young over Stroud is like if the Colts had taken RG3 over Luck? I disagree with that, and I'll tell you why. Robert Griffin III, people forget this. I mean, RG3 early on, that was a coin flip. Who was the better quarterback between he and Luck? And Luck had a, a remarkable rookie year. But RG3, it was the injuries that did him in. It wasn't incompetence. And I'm not saying with Bryce Young he's incompetent. But I'm saying RG3 was a really good quarterback before – once the injuries settled in, you know, he took the he took Washington to the playoffs. By the way, are they changing commanders? Do we know? Didn't they say they were going to do that? I thought they were going to look into potentially doing it, but I never followed up to see. The new ownership said they were going away from commanders. It feels like commanders hasn't really stuck, right? Doesn't everybody, like, pump the brakes before they say commanders? They're like, you know, the Washington... They they start to say they yeah. start to say Redskins right, and then they're like, I personally thought Washington football team that grew on me, and I thought it was cool. I liked it too, but I thought it was cool, like it was simplistic. The Washington football team, it just was like, it was fun. Like, and and with the rise of interest in the game of soccer, you go over to like it's a soccer thing. There's no ma- mascots are a. Like, mascots in the name. Not to say you can't have a mascot for the kids and stuff. Mascots in the name is an American sports thing. But and but Washington football team, A, kind of appeals to a younger audience because it kind of feels soccer-like. But B, it feels like, and Washington's like the only city where you could do this because of the old history of the city of Washington. But Washington football team sounds like you're reading some old 1898 article about some game between <laughs> Yale and Harvard and football. Like the, the Washington Harvard football, football team. team. Yeah, the the Washington football team. Those lads played hard yesterday. A six to three thriller right. in the wind. Right. Yep. I just thought it was cool. And then the, the logo was cool. All of it was cool. Commander's like, eh. I still maintain, and this is one of those soapboxes that I'm probably gonna die on. If they had to rename the Washington team, even before they got to Washington football team, they have the helmets that looked kind of like Florida State's helmets with the the spear on the side of it. But considering that their biggest corporate sponsor is FedEx and the subliminal messaging <laughs> in FedEx, they should have been the Washington Arrows and just use that helmet with the 
the spear with the arrow on it as the that's their logo. Play in FedEx Field would have worked marvelously. Right. Change your colors to purple and orange. That would have been probably taking the sponsorship to the ultimate level, would it not? <laughs> oh yes. But I'm telling you, like you know, I think the arrows would have worked. But I, but I digress. In but, Houston, am I wrong on that? That they're having the season Colts fans wanted this year. That's fair. Which is your shiny new toy, balling out, helping you win games, and you're in the playoff conversation in the final seven weeks of the season. Like that, and, and the and here's the thing that. The thing about the Houston season so far, and I don't know the answer to this, have the auxiliary pieces around C.J. Stroud, were they better than we than we thought? Or is C.J. Stroud, in fact, such a dynamic player that he has elevated the game of those that we thought were mediocre? I think it's probably the first, right? I think the other part of it, too, that we haven't considered is the coaching staff itself from the Shanahan tree... Um, I forget their offensive coordinator's name, but he's just put C.J. Stroud and all those pieces in positions to succeed. I think Stroud has had a big part of it, but I think the coaching staff has done yeah. just as... D'Amico Ryans and company deserve their flowers for what's happened this year. I agree. Did you send them flowers? I've not yet. What kind of flowers do you like? What's your favorite flower? Sunflowers. Okay. Do you know what state is the sunflower state? I do not. Eddie, do you know what state is the Sunflower State? I do not. <laughs> there would be zero reason for either of the two of you to know what state is the Sunflower State. Wyoming? It's, no, it's a good guess. Close. Geographic. Well, somewhat close geographic. Montana. Relative to here. Nope. Opposite direction. Think about how I would know this. Like, there's only re- one reason I would know what state is the Sunflower State. What was the last guess you made? Montana. Iowa? Iowa, also good guess. That's the Hawkeye State. That's Montana's right. Big Sky. That's what it's known as. Um, Wyoming is... I gotta look. Wyoming might oh, be the, oh, Wyoming oh, the Cowboy oh. State. I used to know all the state nicknames. I was very proud of it. Now, is this because of your college education or is this because of IndyCar? Uh, well, thank you for asking, Eddie, for that clarification. This particular state, I have actually both taken college classes and so broadcasted Kansas. an IndyCar race. Yes, Kansas is the Sunflower State. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know the state flower of Indiana? I should, but I don't. That would be the peony, hmm. which is never uh, would have gotten there in a million I years. I don't believe that's an annual, though. So they only come; they are they are coveted because they they bloom in like rare times of the year and not always consistently. Just so you know. Now I can tell you the dogwood is the state flower of Virginia, in case you're wondering. But the dogwood tree is the state tree of Indiana. Anything? Any other questions, Eddie? I can't think of any. Can, can you guys tell that I'm that I'm an insomniac? <laughs> Just Painfully, out of curiosity. Yes. yes. <laughs> does, does it ever? Do you ever think to yourself, when did like what four in the morning is when this stuff comes to me and I look it up? I just think to myself sometimes from time to time. I'm like, you know, I know Virginia's for lovers, but I wonder what their state flower is. I think black eyed Susans are the only state flower that I knew about, and that's only because of horse racing. Do you play wow. Jeopardy with Shannon? With all this. Trivia knowledge. No, I, there's zero chance Sorry, that I wait. can. I, I need can... to rephrase that question. Do you play Jeopardy the second time with Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make no, sure we. I can't wrestle the remote away from Bravo and Real Housewives of Jeopardy County or whatever it might be. Do you know the state fish of Hawaii? 
This is my favorite one. I've done it on the morning show before. <laughs> no. You ready? Please. Say it along with me. You will never forget it. This is the greatest. If you meet anybody from Hawaii and you tell them that you know the state fish, it is literally like the secret handshake of, oh my goodness, you can stay at my house for a month. If you know you that- You are the, Ohana. What's that? You are then Ohana. What's Ohana? Family. Family. <laughs> wow, look at that. Now, how do you know that but not because, the state fish? Because of Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Huma huma nuka nuka I speak English. Huma huma nuka nuka That is the state fish of what? Say it with me. Here, say it. Everybody right now, say it with me. And I am giving you, I'm telling you, Hawaiians will love you forever. You ready? Humu? Humu. 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 Nuku? Nuku. 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 Ah. Ah. Pawaha. Now put it all together. Huma huma nuka nuka puaha. Huma huma nuka nuka awa. Huma huma nuka nuka puaha. Huma huma nuka nuka amwa. You're getting there. It's not the Lion King. Huma huma nuka nuka apwa. Huma huma nope. Huma huma. Uh-huh. Huma huma nuka nuka awa. Close. One more time. Huma huma. Huma huma. Nuka nuka. Nuka nuka. Ah. Ah. Pa. Pa. Wa. Wa. Ha. Ha. Huma huma nuka nuka apwa. Huma huma nuka nuka look that up, Eddie? Can we look that up and come back with that? That's a W. Play that back. I got it. Do you have it right there? Do you have anything that verifies this? Hold on. Hold on. Let me see if uh, Google Translate's working. Yeah, just, just Google. Put it in the elixir. What is the state fish of Hawaii? And it'll come up and tell you that it is Oh, in it fact. is indeed. I was okay. trying to pull it, up the- Does it play the pronunciation? Uh, that's what I'm looking up. We're trying to get it to work, but it's not working. Actually, when you do it, you know what it says on there? Please refer to Jake Query on 1075thefan. Okay, two correct- whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Here. First, Jake, peonies bloom every year. They're not annuals like you already said. They are perennials. They are perhaps the first flower to emerge each year in Indiana. I, I think they come, this is what I was trying to say, I guess, they 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 may bloom every year, but it's for a very limited period of time. So, like, if you're going to go buy a peony at a florist shop, it, you have, like, a very limited window of which to buy it. Did we just hire a company florist? We did, actually. That's and, big. And apparently a company, Arbor, because somebody pointed out to me that it's actually now the tulip tree that is the state tree of Indiana. I thought for sure it was the dogwood. So did I. Uh, Indiana state tree is the tulip poplar tree. Um, so I went with the more popular opinion, which was dogwood, and that apparently was the wrong one. So my apologies on that. Okay, that but sad. somebody else did send me that the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Wapwaha is, there's a, a YouTube pronunciation. Did you find that, Eddie, by chance? <laughs> no. <laughs> let, me, let me let me say let me save the time. No, he did not. He could find it for you, but he doesn't have it right now. I mean, there's a whole song about it. There's, there's an entire song about the Huma Huma Nuka. A matter of fact, High School Musical, that's right in your wheelhouse, did a whole bit. Yeah, the Beatles did that. On the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apuaha, right? Right after Yellow Submarine, right? Those yeah. Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apuaha. There you go. Say that one more time. He's talking to you, Eddie. Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apuaha. I'm telling you. And you guys thought I was kidding, didn't you? Yeah. We educate and we entertain on this program. That's what we do. We I didn't think you were kidding. I, no, I need to clarify that. I did not think you were kidding because uh, I believe you on most 
things, but especially obscure facts. You're never going to hear me say it. Jake, I think you might be wrong there. That's right. Uh, Jimmy, you were in Bloomington. What day was that you were there? Yesterday. Did you go to the Indiana Army game? I did. Your thoughts? Woof. Army is not good defensively. They're not good offensively. You mentioned who they lost to already. Marist and it wasn't Stony Brook. It was Stony View or Stony Press. Stone Hill. I expected them to utilize their size advantage early and often with Malik Renew and Clilwear, and they were bothered when they gave it to him in the post in that first half. They were bothered when double team showed up. The offense looked discombobulated. It was sticking too much, as Coach Woodson said. But they won. So you're like, yay, now we move on to Wright State. And then the defending national champs in UConn a little bit later. I'm not like, there's no panic buttons being hit, but they got to figure out their rotation. They got to figure out who they can consistently rely on. And if Xavier Johnson, who I don't care how you want to label him, he is the veteran tenured leader on that team, whether you like it or not. If Xavier Johnson is saying the effort is not what it is in games that it is in practice. That's oh, no. concerning to me. No, no. He said the there wasn't enough effort in practice, which led to how they played yesterday. Did I, so you're saying I misread the quote? Yeah, he said that... No, no, they, no here it is. We're not going... Oh, no, you're right. I did. I misread yeah. the quote. That's on me. Yeah, he, okay, yeah. never mind. He said that they're not going as hard as they should be in practice, and it falls on him, Trey Galloway, Malik Renew. So that. that so that'll modify it to that point then. Then that, that, that shouldn't be happening at this point in the season. And it's not necessarily a effort thing in games as much as it is the other point Coach Woodson brought up post game, which is trust. They're figuring things out. A lot of guys that haven't played together, but you'd think against Army, FGCU, I'm willing to pass because they're a team that's picked second to win their conference this year, might be a tournament team, and it's an early season opener. That happens. But if it continues past Army, you're going to get your teeth kicked in in the Big Ten. And that would be a disappointing response here, even all that you lost with how touted the transfer portal was. And Khalil Ware can play. Like, Khalil Ware is a solid big man who, when they finally went to him and they weren't afraid of Army sending doubles, had a very efficient night. And it's part of the reason why they were able to pull away in that second half. The other thing, 18 turnovers. You do that in the Big Ten against anybody, it's a death sentence. Here is, and this is now. I want to be very clear with the precursor of what I'm about to say. And I'm not saying it as some sort of a defend myself kind of thing or preemptive whatever, but it's reality, okay? I understand and respect that people are going to hear what I'm about to say and forget the precursor and then start yelling at me that I'm like an IU hater. That's the nature of talking about Indiana basketball. But what you don't know, it's wonderful. Mike Woodson's done a heck of a job in getting Indiana in the right direction, and I think people love having him there because it's, he's a night guy. and all, I get all that. And he was he's brought in partially at, because of the fact that he has NBA ties and that's great for recruiting, and they clearly have some inroads with – you know, like the academy where Jalen Hood Shafino was, who who obviously was a really good player for them. And when you bring in guys that are upon the time of their signing 
everyone assumes and thinks that they are one and dones, it's going to go one of two ways for you. And you can ask Kentucky this. Kentucky's had years where they've had rosters of guys that all ended up in the league and they gelled together and they made Final Four runs. And then they had other years where they barely got themselves into the NCAA tournament or it wasn't until like St. Patrick's Day when the team came together and yet four of those guys are in the league now. You just never know. And part of why you never know is because when you bring in guys that hadn't even heard of Indiana basketball until they were getting their driver's license, and the only reason that they're there is because they feel it gives them the best opportunity to get to the NBA, that is fabulous in terms of having those guys because of their skill set. But it also is a kind of roll of the dice because you have no idea what their level of adaption of team play and surrendering the most critical element of like buying in and knowing when to take a back seat how that factors into gelling a team together over the course of a college basketball season and it's way too early for us to say that this particular group that's going to be an issue I have no idea but what I'm saying is McKenzie and Baco may well be Jalen Hood Shafino who's a guy that was there for a year but totally bought into digging down deep and delivering wins for Indiana and being a team guy, that may well be the case, and that might be who he is still. He also may well be Romeo Langford, who was there and slept, walked through a year, and then went to the NBA and is now learning quickly how to speak Austrian, right? But you just never know. And Khalil Ware looks like a mega talented guy, and this is an opportunity for him to redeem himself after getting basically run out of Oregon. And he may be there because he really wants to utilize and have a symbiotic relationship of lifting Indiana basketball to the places where Indiana wants to be. Or he might be there because he's like, hey, I just need to get some minutes because I'm going to be in the league next year. You just don't know. And that's not a critique of either of those guys. I don't know them. I'm just saying that that – you never know which way it's going to go. And I do think that, Jimmy, this year's installment of Indiana basketball is going to take us a while to totally familiarize ourselves with who and what they are because of the fact that you have so many new faces that are trying to kind of mesh in with faces that have been there a while and, and buy into it. it. It's probably going to be January before we have a real feel for what this team is, right? I don't disagree with that at all. And it's especially tough when you need leaps forward from freshmen from a year ago. You could use a leap forward this year from C.J. Gunn, let, let alone from C.J. Gunn, let alone from Mackenzie Mbako as a freshman and what you want him to develop into. I would be more concerned and more frustrated with, again, in two games, Mbako than I would be where. I, th- I think Chloe is going to be a really nice piece for the Hoosiers as the season unfolds. But you have enough leadership on this team where you would hope that those tides would be quelled. Trey Galloway, Xavier Johnson, to name a few. The bigger issue for me, Jake, and this is early season basketball where you're waiting to see it all develop, is it's not just a, an out-hustle standpoint, and I'm not even just as frustrated about the turnovers. Army took 20 more shots than they did in this game. Like, they, they were very... The reason they ended up pulling away is because, yes, on paper, they are a better team than Army, and they had a size advantage. But that game played out the way Army kept hitting shots and were finding openings from beyond the arc. It felt like a team that you feel like when it's the first round or second round of the tournament as like a 
5-12 matchup where it's like, yeah, you should probably... And Army's not going to the tournament. I want to clarify that off right on the front end. But it felt like that game where other teams hitting all these shots and you look discombobulated on offense. Is that going to get fixed as the season unfolds? Yes, but that's a game where I was expecting a little bit more cushion, breathing room, and less anxiety-filled basketball than what fans got at Assembly Hall last To be night. clear, by the way, on Selection Sunday, when Army is looking at their NCAA <laughs> tournament prospects, uh, their loss against Stonehill will be in be the tough. bad losses category, right? Be tough. When they put that over there. Conversely, for Indiana, that win last night, that might be the difference between your seed line, yeah, I would right. say. It's going to carry right. a lot of weight. Now, meanwhile, what we haven't talked about, I mean, and, and I get it. If I'm in my car right now, I'm yelling at the radio, guys, the second-ranked team in the country is playing tonight, and they're an hour and a half away. Purdue taking on Xavier. And I, I think we've got a pretty good idea with Purdue, right, I, who they are. But Sanford and Moorhead State, do those either of those games really give you a glimpse as to what? Probably not. I think for Purdue this year, the real challenge is coming off of last year, I thought Purdue last year – I mean, they got really, really good play, obviously, out of Smith and Lawyer. But then towards the end of the year, both of those guys flat wore down. And Lawyer in particular, I think people just figured out how to guard and be overly physical with them. And even in the game that we don't speak about from Purdue's standpoint, and I understand why, but the Fairleigh Dickinson game, you know, Lawyer was kind of a no-show in that game. Um, he he hit a few shots late, if I'm not mistaken. The confidence wasn't there for but the confidence any of them. just wasn't there. Correct, and you know maybe Purdue does get a lift in that regard out of the play that that now all of a sudden you've gotten a little bit of a reprieve there, right? With Lance Jones and Lance Jones giving them some scoring in the backcourt, maybe takes some of that pressure off of it. But this is obviously a team that still is going to ride Zach Eady, and, and rightly so. Yeah, you should. He is. One of the best, if not the best player in the country. He's an unstoppable force. And if you just got better, in theory, in all the areas that you struggled a year ago, which is still like against smaller guards and quick guards, I get it. That'll always be a fear for Purdue fans once we get into February and March. But if you just have a slight step forward in terms of confidence and overall play from the likes of Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, which two games in, I get the competition's not there, but you're taking care of business. You're not playing with your food. It's never really in doubt. If that's a leap forward that you have, then it's justified, not just with Zach Eady, not just with Matt Painter, why a number of pundits across the country have them as not just a Final Four team, but as a national champion this year. Now, that's super simming things way too far out. I'm sure there's a lot of Purdue fans that now have expectations for where they want to see this particular group go. And maybe the mindset is, okay, well, talk to me in March. Let's see where things are at now. But you can still see growth and development from younger pieces on this Purdue roster and think, yeah, this is a better team than they were a year ago. Trey Kaufman Wren is a player that I'm really curious to see what he does this year because I will give him credit. I mean, he's a guy that probably could have – I think Trey Kaufman Wren really speaks to kind of the buy-in that guys have about Matt Painter because there are a lot of players that – coming in as hyped as he was, and when he's been given minutes, he's played well. I There are a lot of guys in that situation that would have gone ahead and gone out there and tested to see what they could get 
minute wise from another school elsewhere and he stuck it out he knows that you know obviously Caleb first is there and so the minutes were still to be fought for but he's getting them and and he's clearly skilled and then Miles Colvin's the other one yeah. I, you know I really want to see what Colvin can do he's shown glimpses I think a, a lot of people looked at him and said because he was at a smaller school for the vast majority of his high school career but at 6'5", and, and clearly athletic, but a late bloomer from a basketball standpoint, I'm curious to see what Colvin's able to do. Yeah, I had the opportunity to cover him a handful of times while he was the Heritage Christian. He was a fun prospect. Again, not just because it was from a two-way school, because you're going to play higher up regardless of how the schedule was built, but he was always the best player on the floor and committed to Purdue very early on. His family has deep ties there, so the, the ability for him to develop underneath Matt Painter, regardless of how things shape out just for this his freshman campaign is very enticing Purdue is a fun team to watch they play a a very enjoyable brand of basketball and they do it at a very high level this is expectations year for them no doubt just like it was a year ago with how talented this roster is and the ranking that they carry because of it but it doesn't mean you still can't enjoy them on a nightly basis and you'll get an opportunity to again tonight against Xavier by the way on a side note how about James Madison James Madison, here's a school that like in football wasn't even D1 or you know until this year. James Madison's ranked in both sports. It's beautiful. It's one I of think, my favorite sentences ever. I think James Madison is kind of like the it's like the ball state of Virginia. You know, you graduate from high school at Roanoke Western High. The vast, a lot of kids in your graduating class are probably not going to UVA because it's probably the most selective state university in the country. But you got a fair amount of buddies that are going to Vatech. Probably a couple of them are going to go to Maryland, and then you got a lot of kids that are like, "Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go and major in like business or marketing at JMU." I got a good friend that went to JMU, and he loves James Madison football, and goes down for games, does the whole deal, and now all of a sudden they move up this year and. I say it's a weird I, rule, Jake. It's an awful. Put him in, man. Yes. Put him in. Yes, here, here. Like, was there when it comes to the college football playoff, the two teams in the college football playoff that most excited people was the year Cincinnati got in, right? Yep. Because it was different, right? If you can be voted within the the rankings, you should be able to be in. I dream it. Yeah, totally agree. And the year that it was pre, obviously pre playoff but the year that Boise State got themselves into a BCS bowl game and did the Statue of Liberty play and upset Oklahoma people loved it the NCAA tournament what do people love about it they remember like you know the kid from northern Iowa hitting a big shot or Fairleigh Dickinson knocking out Purdue that's what people love right give them a shot it happened to Mary Mack last year in basketball they beat Fairleigh Dickinson but they weren't eligible to be that's a part right. of the tournament that's so right. Fairleigh Dickinson got the ticket and then and did fairly well well done thank you I tried I just saw John walking past. That must mean that he's up next about 15 minutes from now, as a matter of fact. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day will lay 17 and a half on the Boilermakers as they host Xavier because, Eddie, as we know, good teams win, but great teams cover. We'll ride Purdue tonight in the NBA. Give me the Cleveland Cavaliers. Twin of the money line on the road in Sacramento against the Kings. And for Monday Night Football, I got this a little bit earlier. Wood laying seven. You can get it at seven and a half right now on DraftKings. For the Bills as they host the Denver Broncos. 
And Stephon Diggs finds the end zone and is an anytime touchdown scorer. Eddie, what do you like today? Give me the Greek freak over 28 and a half points. Dominates the Chicago Bulls last year in two games that he started and finished. 36 points. 45 points. He has been on a roll as of late, too. 54, of course, against the Pacers. 35 against Orlando over the weekend. And then I will be taking Jalen Brunson under 22.5 points. Do not like his matchup against Drew Holiday, who nice. can compete with his physicality and knock him off his spots so he cannot get into the mid-range. Jake, here's how I know the Pacers are winning. They're winning because I'm mad they're not on TV tonight. I'm longing to watch more Pacers basketball. That's good. Like I, I feel like that's yeah. a that's a that's a win all the way around for the city and what you wanted from a year ago of okay this is kind of our hopefully last rebuilding year and this is a year where we take a step forward I I want to see more but that's not what the NBA schedule is giving me tonight now Eddie didn't you have something that you're sweating about tonight are we not divulging that on? we're not divulging on that no <laughs> you're not living under the rule of transparency as best for all <laughs> correct this year? correct yep. if you were an NFL player Jimmy Cook and it was bye week and you you went in today to I guess check in, and then they said, okay, we'll see you next Monday. What are you doing? Give me a beach somewhere. Yeah, I think that's probably the most common answer. Yeah. But you would have to, you would want to keep it stateside, right? Probably. You can't run the risk of something happening where you can't get back. I'd probably go see Taylor Swift on tour. Excuse me? You mean Travis Kelsey? That's what Travis Kelsey did last week for the bye week. I did see that. Where where did he see? uh, He went far away, right? It was in Buenos Aires, I think. Okay. No, I'd probably stay stateside. Get a nice beach, plenty of massages, plenty of ice. Excuse me? Keep the body ready to go. Not Cleveland Browns related. Robert Kraft? Real therapeutic massages. You're going to Robert Kraft? No, I'm not. No, not before the AFC Championship game. No, I'm not. Uh, J&B walks in who just woke up from, I would assume, like sleeping for 20 hours yesterday, right? Because I was, was driving tired. home at 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night and you were still doing the takeoff. I was tired. That's eight hours right there. And I slept in this room right next door here. I was going to ask like you. an hour and a half. We, yeah. we had a, a long conference about that, you yeah. and I, and I was giving you all of my ideas and suggestions. Yeah. I slept right in there on the floor for about an hour and a half. So, Now, wh- which room? Uh, whatever's right in here. Not that one. No, huh? No, not that one. No, the one that's, next uh, to B. That's B next door. And then the one, it's an office space right in front of David Wood's door that's got nobody in there, I think. <laughs> so, okay. Did you actually sleep? About an hour and a half. Wait, okay. you didn't find my cot in there? Huh? My cot was in there. You didn't see it? Uh. Oh, okay. Eddie, Eddie put in a put in a uh, four hour work day now and yeah, <laughs> you need a cot for that, dude. Eddie, all right. Yep. yep. Yeah. Eddie. <laughs> now, nah, man, I had a good time though. That was fun. Well, eight hours. I played some stuff. I never thought I would play. What'd I'm you sure. play? Grant Lee Buffalo's Lone Star song from the okay. '90s played. That's outstanding. Uh, somebody went back to remember Quincy's and the Adams Mark yes. Hotel. Yeah. Uh, the Electric Slide. By DJ Slice was requested from the 90s. Now, what's the last... So you were on until, what, one thirty? Yeah. I remember John Cusack, by the way, was on to me once, and he mentioned that he and Charlie Sheen, when they were filming um, Eight Men Out, did a couple of nights inside Quincy's really? at the Adams Mark. Yeah. I'd imagine Sheen probably tore some stuff up. I did a, um, I did a radio interview once with michael gross mm-hmm. who played stephen keaton oh on i Family love Pies. stephen keaton what a great dad this was this was in like 2008 mm-hmm. 
And he goes, oh, man, I love Indianapolis. Yeah, every time I go there, I, I love going to Union Station. And I'm like, well, actually, bud, you haven't been here clearly in like 15 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love going to Daltz up there in Keystone. <laughs> yeah. Well, not necessarily. Not hey, so much. Quincy's so, at the Ebbs Mark was badass. What though. was the last time that you took a request? Um, one fifty in the morning. Okay. Yeah. And you signed off at what, two? Two. Yeah, I bailed at two. All right. I, I wondered, like... Did you just have to tear up the log? I mean, this is radio I bet chat. I, took, I bet I took 189 phone calls, all in all. Now, do you have do you have people that make a request that you can't get to? Yeah, some sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I forget. Right. Because so, it moves pretty fast in there. Sometimes I forget. So I don't, I don't mean to forget. I did hear unless, the, you're, unless you request meatloaf, and then I absolutely mean to forget. Now, I did. You don't like, I, I know you don't like, all oh, these rock Paradise operas Brothers can Aspen. just smooch my butt. Now man, they suck. I did hear a uh, Larceny Bourbon double shot of Gangsters Paradise followed by Amish Paradise. Amish Paradise. Like I did that? Hear, we did hear that. A little kingpin right in the middle. I was going to send you uh, the, the typical the, the weekend tradition video of Shannon singing yeah. along to the JMV Takeover, but it was Amish Paradise. Yeah, <laughs> and she didn't know the words, and I thought, thought it would be offensive to to use my iPhone for an Amish song. Right? I edited that together, and uh, it actually came out really well. Yeah, it was good. So yeah, kingpin milking the bull in the middle of it <laughs> yeah. right there. You know, yeah, it was pretty so, good. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, your thoughts yesterday on the game? You'll be talking um, it was plenty horrible. about it. Obviously, um, I, right? My eight hours of JMV takeover was a hell of a lot better than that game, but we're not talking about style points, right? Because this team's not going to win anything on style points. And I think it comes down to, you know, everybody says that old cliche, any given Sunday, if this team can just not kill itself, I think it has an opportunity with the schedule that is remaining um, to win games. But there are a lot of teams to jump over if you look at them between where they but, have to but get But, John, at this as point. I was saying, they the Colts are – more likely to stay in that category of those teams that yeah. are kind of hanging around for the wild card than they are to slide back yeah. to the point that the teams that are hanging around for a really good pick. Right. I mean, they're out of that they're out of that arena now. Yeah. I don't know what was worse. Was the football game worse or what Jimmy went to in Bloomington with uh, Army? By the way, that kid from North Central, Charlie Peterson's a good player. Good for him yesterday. But my goodness, Jimmy – they look terrible. It's I know painful. they're supposed to look terrible, but they don't have Trace to lean on to do everything for them and then have everybody make fun of him anymore. I, I had a tweet out that I put after the Colts game that was, burn the tape, drink a beer, go into the bye week and figure things out. And it then, was the same thing for IU Army. Teach an offense. Replace yeah. bye week with right State. <laughs> teach an offense that's and re- not from 1972. Exactly. Yeah, be good too. Army was good in 1972, by the way. Well, they, yeah, yeah, they were. That's why Indiana yeah. plucked yeah. their coach away. Yeah. All right, John's going to take you home for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon.